This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The um, final part, Bezrat Hashem, hopefully the final part, we'll have to go through it, uh, of, the, of the series of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Uh, and and uh, last time we ended off with the, the three plagues, the first three plagues. So we did, blo- so we did blood, dam, tzvaldea, which was frogs, and kanim, which was lice. That's where we finished. We're going to start off today with the fourth one, um, which uh, is going to be wild animals. So... The, um, you know, the, the order that this is going to be is generally, um, and this way so we don't have to go through the same, you know, every, every single uh, uh, plague, we'll have to go through it. Moshe's going to come, he's going to warn him. is going to say, very nice, thank you for the warning. Then Moshe is going to bring, after three weeks, so every warning is three weeks, followed by a one week of plague, all except for the plague of darkness, which is only lasts for six days, not for one week. We'll discuss it when we get there, B'zalat Hashem. The, uh, after the plague, when the plague's about to end, Paolo's always gonna be like, alright, 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 I give up, I'm gonna let the Jews go, and then Moshe comes the next day, and Paolo says, I have to change the mind. And then the cycle's gonna begin, begin again with the next, um, with the next warning. So, we finish off with the, with the plague of, of lice, and now Paolo says, I'm not letting the, he changes, I'm not letting the Jews go. So, Moshe comes in, and he tells him that there is going to be the next plague, the plague of wild animals. Now, the plague of wild animals, the, one of the, the reasons of this, of this plague is, uh, the parol always, you know, the first two plagues were blood and frogs, and the next one was lice. So parol always said, you know, the only reason why, why the area of parol, which was centered near the Nile, got affected by this, and not Goshen, which is where the Jews lived, which was outside the Nile, which is further away, was because all these plagues originated near, in the Nile, with the water. Water is blood, and then frogs also came out of the water. So, so God this time He made the plague of wild animals that they actually went through when they traveled. So there was a calling of all the wild animals. They actually went through Goshen. They actually went through the Jewish thing, not harming anybody. Went straight to the um, went straight to eat to the center of Egypt, and that's the, why there's no more you know uh, you know sort of a excuses of saying oh no it has nothing to do with the Jews because you see a lot of a lot throughout the the ten plagues. Paul always tries to justify that it's not God. The Egyptians, uh, magicians also always try to say like, no, 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 it has nothing to do with God, it has to do with nature, and we'll, we'll soon see how each one actually comes to pass. Okay, so, now, uh, the way that, uh, Moshe is going to go and warn Paro is that he's going to go to him in the river when he's doing his, uh, bodily function. So we said last, in the last class that he pretended to be a god, and gods don't need to go to the bathroom, but he did need to go to the bathroom because he wasn't a god, so he would go in the Nile. And, uh, the, the issue was, is that, is that the last time, Moshe came to him in the Nile, and he sort of surprised him, you know, he was doing his business in the Nile, Moshe sort of snuck up to him, tapped him on the shoulder, he's like, oh, like, oh what's going on? You know, while he's in the middle of his business, Moshe's like talking to him and warning him. So, so now Paro realized, he says, listen, what? All business. So, he goes and he, and he says, this time I'm gonna outsmart Moshe. So he switched around his whole routine. He figured somehow that he found out his routine, so he switched out, uh, you know, very early he goes in a different location. So, you know, you can't hide from God. So go, Moshe goes, uh, God tells Moshe exactly where to go, exactly where time is. So Paolo's over there, he's doing his, his business again, and Moshe sneaks up upon him again. And, um, he tells him, you know, about this, about this plague. And he sees what he's doing, so he goes to Paolo again, he says, uh, listen, I thought you were a God, uh, why you, uh, what you doing? And, uh, Paolo says, what's your business, what I'm doing? He's like, no, no, I'm just saying, you know, you're, you told me you're God, and you told everybody else you're God. He says, but gods don't need to go to the bathroom. So then Paul gives the same answer he gave last time. He says, listen, whatever I told my, the Egyptians with me and my Egyptians, they're fools or idiots. I can tell them whatever they want. They believe anything. <laughs> so Paul says, so Moshe goes to Paul and says, listen, he says, you have to let the Jews go. And if you don't let the Jews go, then this is going to happen. He starts describing him the, um, 
the, the, the plague of wild animals. Now, before we actually going to go, we're going to go start and go into what's the measure for measure, why specifically did they deserve wild animals. So, number one is that the Egyptians used to go and they used to make the Jews capture wild animals for sporting events, also for their idol, uh, you know, rituals and for their um, sacrifices that they would need to do. So, a lot of Jews were murdered during these conquests. Additionally, not if they weren't murdered, they were, they were uh, you know, by these wild animals, they were severely, severely injured. Additionally, what we have over here is it's a very, it wasn't just one wild animal. It wasn't just like a group of tigers and bears and lions that came uh, to go and to uh, destroy Egypt. It was all ranges of animals. We'll soon see even, even not so wild animals came in. And uh, the, usually they fight against each other. But here they united, they came a united font altogether. They put aside their differences and they all went and focused on one enemy and that's the Egyptian uh, uh, nation. Now one of the reasons that they all united uh, in, in sort of unity is that the Egyptian children were all not from the same, they were not united from the same parents. I, the, the Egyptian society we know is very immoral. And, you know, so they would have had a few kids over here from this person, a few kids, who really know who's counting you know like so everybody so because they were so they were so uh, in the in they were so mixed with their with their uh, marital uh, life therefore also the the animals also came in sort of a mixed fashion and they all united together another reason was is that the um, the Egyptians used to force the Jews to nurse their babies like free daycare but it wasn't like you know like easy they put a tons and tons of babies to like one Jewish person and let them go and deal with it so now these wild animals are going to go and they're going to go kill and they're going to devour these children that they, these uh, Egyptian parents made them watch the, additionally the Egyptian also used to they all band together for one their, their target was a Jewish nation now all the animals are going to band together for their one target the Egyptian um the Egyptian nation. And lastly, they, they used to also uh, instill a lot of fear on the Jews. They used to instill a lot of fear. Because they instill a lot of fear, they were, um, they were punished with fierce, you know, fearsome animals. Another, and uh, one more reason, actually. The Jews used to always uh, need to go and tend to the Egyptian flocks. But the problem was is that because they were tending to the Egyptian flocks, they would be neglecting their own flocks. And due to that, wild animals will come and eat their own flocks. So sort of as a payback that, they're at, that wild animals now, instead of going and it's going to be, um, you, know, pay, you know, destroying their animals, it's going to actually destroy the people. Okay, so Moshe goes and the warning is, is in effect. And the next day, there's a hordes and hordes of wild animals. Now, these are not, uh, you know, just any regular wild animals. But before we even go over there, when when um, when Moshe gives over Paro this warning, Paro says, uh, okay, very nice, you finished, because he was a little, you know, doing his business, like we said before. And uh, Paro says, are you finished with the, with the warning? And he's like, yeah. He's like, all right, so be gone now. You know, basically, he wanted to finish what he's doing. So he kept on trying to go to the bathroom, and it wasn't so successful, uh, so much so that his uh, his intestines ruptured, and they came out. And just when then God sent a whole flock of rats come and they started biting their sharp teeth in his intestines that protruded. Wait, and he his intestines? It was outside now. It was inside before. Now it came out. Now the, the rats were able to okay. we could paint the picture. Uh, um, so they go and they start they start biting his intestines and he's screaming from pain. Meanwhile, all the Egyptian people, it's it's way early in the morning, everyone's sleeping. You know, we know that Paul made a decree that no one's allowed to go out of the house because that's when he has to go to the to the to the to the river to do his business. They all start screaming, everyone comes rushing out, they see Paro crawling over in pain, rats basically eating up his, his situation, and, and they're all like, you know, they're all saying, oh, where's our God? This is our God? That this is how he's doing? So, he goes and with the anger and the frustration that he got for that, he made his heart really strong, he says, I'm not sending any of the Jews out. 
and uh, uh, the attack goes, and the next day, the wild beast came in. Now, it was, it was wild beast that, it wasn't only that there was, there was completely different species, but it was from completely different habitats. So you had the polar bears from the, uh, from the cold, and you have the African lions from the hot, and they all came together, and so much so it was, usually animals are, do not feel comfortable to attack unless they're in their home, their home grounds. So God made it, the whole Egyptian, you know, for this plague, turned into whatever that particular animal was. So if it was a lion, it turned into like a jungle or desert sort of say polar bear turned into ice so they all felt very comfortable wherever they were and they had you're talking about lions bears panthers wolves pigs donkeys kangaroos you know the australian ones they all just came they all came uh and then you had not only that you also had the birds you have the ostriches you had the you know the even you had fleas and flies mosquitoes there was so much birds that you couldn't see the sun. It was like, you're talking about like an army. An army of all the animals. You're talking about, you know, safari. Basically a live safari, uh, but no one's safe. And uh, th- to make matters worse, they uh, they invited two of their old friends. The frogs and the lice came back for this one as well. <laughs> and you know how you have like, now now they're terrified from these two things. You know, you're like traumatized from the frogs and the lice. But no, they just came back with a passion. Now... Not not only did the wild animals come, but also tame animals came. Regular, you know, calm anim- uh, animals that are not usually so aggressive towards humans or towards other animals. But God made them aggressive. So th- there's, th- I think that's like one of the scariest things. You're talking about something like, oh, look, it's a cute thing, and then it's like, ah, you know, it's like something like, you know, the cute little parrot, just like, you know, nonstop. Uh, so it came, it, it came in all sorts of of terror. Everything, everything. Came. So. Um, and, and not only that, they came in, uh, you think of it as like, you know, like things, it like grew on them, they grew venom. These, these like non, you know, ferocious animals grew venom. So, and, uh, you know, the, the poison. So now, the, um, what, what the Egyptians started doing, they saw these things, so they started barricading themselves in their homes. They started blocking themselves in the homes, and the animals couldn't get into the homes. So they started dug, uh, you know, tunneling under. So you had the snakes that were going under, and you had all these animals that were, that were dugging under to try to like get to, you know, you're sitting over there and you're hearing like, you know, like, you know, the wolf is trying to come in over there. He's hopping and puffing. What? They were programmed to attack all the Egyptians. Oh no, as soon as he only the Egyptians. So they were in their houses, they were, they were boarded up. So God sent these, these sea monsters. The sea monsters will be known as, uh, you know, otherwise as like giant squids or octopuses that were good on land. You're talking about with each arm over 15 feet long. And they would go and they would break through, they would go on the roofs, they would be, they would rip off the roofs and then the animals would jump in. They would go and barricade and, and break down the barricades from inside and then the animals would come in. How would a sea monster live on land? Like, How would, uh, yeah, answer questions? I can find many questions here. It's all miracles. These are all miracles nonstop. These are non, you'll, you'll see these, everything is out of the ordinary. Because one of the proofs, one of the reasons that God did this is that to show the world and to show the Jewish nation, to show the Egyptian nation that God rules over everything. So everything, nature does not come into play in anything over here. Um, but with all that being said, God does everything in a way that you could excuse it through nature. And we'll soon see. So, the, um, the, while they are, while these squids and, and these octopuses are, are op- making the doorways open, so now the, the Egyptians are in the house and they're getting attacked from the front. Meanwhile, the, from, from under the ground, the snakes and the lizards and all those other reptiles were able to, bre- to break in. So they were getting attacked from, from all, uh, from all angles. So the, the, um, 
the Egyptians were nervous now. They were, they were scared. So they told the Jews, come protect us. So if they walked in the street, they walked with like a Jew. I got holding hands. Right? So maybe the Jew will protect us. But the, the, the animals, they were so, they were programmed so well that they knew who was a Jew and who was not a Jew. So they went and they destroyed the, the Egyptian and they kept the Jew. They didn't even bother the Jew. The Jew were walking through literally like it was a safari without any problems. The, um, when the, when the day, when it came nighttime, cause this plague was there for seven days. So when it came nighttime, the the regular animals went to sleep, and the, then the night animals came out, and then they came over there. So they were, there was no resting. Now when the you know when the Jews had to had to carry the you know basically you know um, daycare for all their Egyptian children, so they were, they had the children with them at that point in time. So but the animals came, and literally one animal per child. They took him and they just ran away. So when the when the Jew came back to the Egyptian and the Jew, they they didn't have any of their kids, they're like, where's the kids? So the Jews literally like shrugged it off and be like, well, that one was a, a lion. Uh, I think a giraffe got that one. Uh, you know, I'd literally go one by one. So the, um, even furthermore, there were so many animals in there that the animals, when they moved their bowels, they destroyed the soil of the, uh, Egypt. Egypt was very rich soil. It was a very beautiful land. Literally destroyed also the soil as well. Paro realized that, you know, um, you know, there's a situation going on over here, and he can't, you know, go on like this. So he starts deciding, okay, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta deal with this head on. There's no more, you know, Moshe is just some fake guy. There's obviously something over here that, you know, we can't go out. So he decided he needs to call Moshe. The problem is, is that he couldn't get out of his palace. Nobody could get out of the palace. Because the second you go out, if they were able to barricade, some of them, the way that they got saved is that they barricade themselves in these, like, towers and these things that the animals still weren't able to, uh, to get to them. So Paro was scared. He couldn't go out. So he started screaming from his palace, Moshe, Moshe, he starts screaming, Moshe and Aaron. And, um, and, and, uh, but he couldn't, you know, they actually was a miracle that it went through everywhere. But what happened was afterwards is that people, you know, other Egyptians heard him screaming. So they also started screaming, Moshe, Moshe and Aaron, until it finally reached to where Moshe Aaron was. And they basically called him to go into, uh, to Paro, uh, that way. So Paro goes, Moshe goes over to Paro, and Paro says, listen, I see that there is indeed a God. Uh, so Moshe says, so does this mean that you're prepared to let the Jewish nation go? He says, um, you know, he says, you know, let's talk about it. We're two businessmen over here, let's negotiate. So he says, um, he says, listen, I thought about it. I said, you know, you wanted to go and sacrifice to your God. You tell me your God is everywhere. So why do you need to go to three, because Moshe was telling him, what we need for the Jewish people to go, if we, just a recap from last week, is that we need a three-day trip to the desert to go and sacrifice to God. So Paul says, listen, he says, if God is everywhere, why do you need to go to the desert? I give you full permission to go and sacrifice in Egypt. I'm not a nice guy. Look at me. I'm giving you full permission. So he says, no need for you to travel. You can do it right over here. So Moshe answers back to him. He says, listen, you know, while it's a nice gesture, it's not going to happen. Uh, we need to sacrifice animals. And you Egyptians worship animals. Not going to go well. Paul says, don't worry about it. He says, on my way, I give you full permission. So Moshe says, with all due respect, with your full permission, the, you know, if I'm getting their animals of these Egyptians, they don't care about you. They're going to attack straight on. And Paul knew that he was right. So Paul says, okay, says, let's go and negotiate a little further. He says, all right, says, why do you need to go on a three-day journey? One day is enough. Let's go, go on one day, and that'll be enough. But what he said, Paul was very deceitful. He says, why don't you go for one day? Which means was, he wasn't intending to actually, it was a play in words that he was using. He wasn't intending to allow all his, uh, you know, the Jewish nation go. He says, you, 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 Moshe, now, you go for one day. I'll give you permission. Go ahead. So um, Moshe caught on this. He saw what Paul was doing, but he decided not to act upon it. So he says, fine, I'll pray to God. I'll pray to God that the, the animals will go, uh, will go away. And Moshe went, prayed to God, all the animals, all the wild beasts after the prayer, just 
you know, just booked, booked Egypt. Everyone left. Not a single one remained. They made sure that not a single one remained because one of the things that would go with the, with the plagues is that the Egyptians would never benefit from anything from the plague. So if they, animals would have left, been left over, they could have used it for their hides, you know, the, you know, some animals are very expensive or very good, good meat, whatever it was. None of the animals left. Everything, um, everything went, uh, outside of Egypt. So, Paro, you know, the same uh, deceitful Paro, he, of course, go backs out on his word the second that everything is calm. Usually this is how the wicked are. They start praying to God, you know, they're going to change the life when everything bad happens. The second that the good thing happens, be like, don't worry about it, I'm okay. You know, no need for your help, I'm okay. And they, they go right back to the regular ways. So, he refuses to let the Jews out. Moshe, right back on the cycle. There's this, the fifth, this is where he's going to get the, the, um, the fifth uh, plague, which is the death of all the cattle, death of all the flocks that were in there. Um, it was a, like an epidemic. So, Moshe goes and he goes and he and he uh, um, warns Paul about this plague. Now the uh, the ram the, the over there was one of the you know the Egyptians actually worshipped these animals. So it's you think about it you know like okay all the animals die not so bad but if it's your gods that are dying it makes a you know puts a little bit different spin on it. So. And you're talking about everything. There's not going to be cows for milk and goats, and everything is going to is going to go. And the miracle that is going to be is that usually these types of epidemics they go they travel by air, so they kill all these animals, all these things. But the Jewish, any Jewish animal owned, nothing's going to be touched to it. It's going to remain completely healthy, even if they were grazing in the same grass. Nothing's going to happen to the Jewish animals, only to the Egyptian animals. What is the measure for measure for this? The um, the Egyptians used to make make give these flocks, these sheep, and the, all the all the animals that the the Jews would have to tend to, and they would send them really far out of Egypt, so they have to be separate. Well, not it could be still in Egypt, but far out from their families in Goshen, so that they would be separated from their wives, so they wouldn't be able to have any kids. So because of these animals, the Jews couldn't be with their with their family. So because of that, these animals are going to go and they're going to die. Um, and also, like we said before, the Jews didn't have time to tend to their own animals. So now, since they, they, they were lacking in tending to their own animals, their animals of the Egyptians are going to die as well. The, uh, and additionally, there, the, the Egyptians used to go, and they used to, instead of, so you know you have a plow, so you put an ox in a plow, some strong animal, they, they let the, the, their oxen rest, and they put the Jews in the plows. They harnessed the Jews like animals, and they would whip them, and the Jews had to go and plow the fields. So because of that, they went, and they, um, they were go- all these animals were going to die. Now, it is important to realize that not every single animal that would die, that there was about 10% of the animals in Egypt that remained. And we're going to soon see why there's going to be uh, a reason for them to remain. So, the, um, this was a very instant uh, plague. It, was, it wasn't like it took a week. It was instantly. In one moment, all of them died. All the animals just plopped down and died. Now, this was also dangerous to the people that were that were sitting on these uh, on these animals. So, if you had a person that was riding an animal, if they fell over where they died, they either got injured, they could have gotten killed, they could have who knows what they what they would have gotten. But they did. It did harm the people as well. But Paro, in uh, you know, in his own, you know, even though in Paro he lost all his animals, he wasn't particularly nervous about this. The Jews had all the animals; he would be able to buy animals, and the plague was over. So it wasn't like he didn't feel pressure to send the Jews out. He's like, there's no, you know, it's done. There's nothing that you could, you know, it's not like they were the epidemic went slowly and then like five percent of the animals died. Temp- in one instant, everything died. So. Pyro hardened his heart and says, listen, alright, it's done, what can you do? And move on. He didn't feel it's such a big deal and he would refuse to let the, um, to let the Jews, uh, out. The next plague, the sixth plague, was a plague of boils. This one came without any warning. We said, you know, in the beginning of, uh, of last, uh, last class, the way that the plagues worked, it was warning, warning, no warning. Warning, warning, no warning. That was the five way that... Five was cattle, not wild animals. Five was, uh, yeah, five was cattle, four was wild animals. So, the plague of boils 
were, the way that it started, that was going to start was that it's, um, Moshe and Aaron each took like, uh, two handfuls of this ash. And they would, Moshe, you know, would put his handful on one hand, which is already a miracle. Aaron will put two his handful on Moshe's hand as well. So you had here four, four, uh, um, handfuls of ash in one hand. And he would take this up and he would throw it up in the air. And this thing, one of the miracles was, is that this thing would go, the, the ash usually, you know, it doesn't go a few feet. It just gets blown with the wind. The miracle was it went straight to the sky. It was like a shooting beam to the sky. And then it spread out throughout the entire, throughout the entire Egypt. You're talking about a tremendous amount, 1100 miles all around. And whenever the, the ash came in contact with any skin of the Egyptians, it turned into boils. Now what is the measure for measure for this, uh, for this particular, uh, makah, for this plague? So the Jews used to, uh, be forced to, um, either cool off the boiling hot baths of the Egyptians, or make them, uh, make, uh, okay, so you guys are getting where I'm going, good. And, uh, even furthermore, they, um, they used to work the Jews so hard that their skin would tear, and they would turn with boils and cuts and bruises, and, uh, they would be so overloaded with work that they wouldn't even be able to attend to those bruises. The Jew, the Egyptians also, they, uh, made the, the Jews work so hard that the blood oozed out of them, you know, from all these wounds, and even furthermore, they spilled blood. So to now, these boils are, these and blisters are gonna eventually also spill, uh, spill blood. And lastly, they also, uh, used to work a lot under the sun. Egypt is very hot. So you're talking about serious sunburn that would blister up and would, and they, you wouldn't have rest if you, you know, if you're not able to work that day, you still have to work. So all these things that they cause the Jews to have boils and skin, uh, skin issues, now the Egyptians are going to have their skin issues. So, the, um, the, the Maka begins and the, you know, one of the first peop- one of the first things that the, this maka hit, this plague hit, was the Egyptians, uh, magicians. That's the one who, who, who hit them the first. But besides, be, one of the reasons was is that they always told Paro, don't send them, there's reasons for it, they always gave them the excuses. So now, God made it so bad that they wouldn't, they weren't even able to go and present themselves in front of Paro, because they got it so bad that they, they looked deformed. The blisters was erupting, and it was trans, it, the skin was peeling off. They didn't even look like their own self, so they were so embarrassed to even go out. The, um, the, there was, all in all, there was 24 different types of boils that were in this, um, this, in this, in this, uh, in this, uh, in this plague. That, the way that, the purpose of that was that some boils need a certain ointment, or you need cold water. Other blisters, you need hot water to heal it. So every single blister needed a different type of thing. So if you tried to heal one thing, the other thing would be aggravated. So you could never, the Egyptians could never actually heal it, because there were so many different types of, of boils in there that they could never do anything. Furthermore, every little time that it was touched, it was excruciating pain. And what God did was that these boils, you know, ended up making cavities, holes in their, in their skin, and, and infections started brewing, and it started oozing pus and blood and all this nastiness. So the um this the boils actually always remained with uh, Paro and the Egyptians. They never actually fully healed from this. Um, none of the Egyptians thought maybe they should have converted to Judaism. They did. Not yet. Not yet, but soon we'll see. Yeah. Spoiler alert. We'll see soon. So the um so so Paro, he this you know up until this point, you know, Paro had the ability to go and repent by his own means and send the Jews out. After already over here, by the, by the, it was so bad over here, the boils, that he would have wanted to send the Jews out. But it was so bad that, that at this point in time, God already, you know, told him, he's, you know, that's it. He's, he's hardening his heart. That even if he wants to go, God's gonna make sure that the Jews stay, so he's gonna get the full, uh, full, uh, um, wrath of, of all the punishment that there was. So he goes and he refused to go and, and to, um, and to let the Jews out. Again, the same idea. 
He's you know, you're holding back a question. Go ahead. Was Paro affected at all? Yes, yes, he was. Oh, he was. Okay, just yeah. sure. okay. So at this point in time, Paro's uh, Paro. So we're up to we just finished the sixth plague, and after the first five plagues, we said Paro had the ability to change on his own will. Now the sixth plague and on, God hardened uh, hardened his heart. So Paro at this point in time, he convinced that God exists. He's seeing these one after another. You got to be you know really stubborn to think that he didn't exist. But he was. To, to, to do uh, repentance and send out the Jews by himself. If he wanted to send out the Jews, he could have. But now God made it that he, he wouldn't be able to. So, and by the way, we spoke about this a little bit before, but the idea behind this is, is a very common one. The Rambam, my man, and he speak about it in Hilchot in, Shuvah, uh, that if you, if you uh, there are certain sins that people do that God prevents you from doing Shuvah. Okay, but in any case, so um, even though Paro realized that now God exists and he's there, he didn't really fully um, believe that he's the sole power. He's like, okay, he's a very powerful God. Doesn't mean that all other gods are nullified. So, um, this point that, um, you know, Moshe is now, we're up to, Moshe went and warned Paro for this, for this one. This, the next one is the, is the, is the, um, where the, it rained fire, hail, it hailed like fire and ice in the same, uh, um, in the same ball of, which will soon explain it. So, the two weapons that God usually uses for punishing, punishing the wicked is either fire or water. You look at fire in Sodom, for example, or water in the great flood, flood. So over here, God put these, both of these together, the united forces together, and uh, besides besides just these giant balls of ice with with burning fire inside them, it also accompanied with thunder, lightning. These were literally, you know, and these things were not small little, you know, ice. You know, it wasn't like small little cute. You know, when it when it hails now, everyone takes out their videos. Oh, look at that! Did you see these? these? I saw one that came out the size of a golf ball. You're talking about balls of ice that were greater than a foot and a half, more than six tefachim wide. You're talking about. A serious ball of ice in fire. It's a it's a bomb. It's an explosion. It lands on the floor and it explodes. So, so the this this thing was yeah. They destroyed everything. It destroyed the it destroyed the it uprooted trees. It pulverized the the, the wood over there. It destroyed everything. It literally bombs raining from heaven. Now, what is the measure for measure for this uh, for this maka? Number one is that the Jews the were 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 forced to plow and tend to all these things as animals, all these uh, these uh, fruits and vegetables and trees. So God went and God destroyed everything. So the Egyptians are not going to be able to benefit from it. Furthermore, the Egyptians would not allow, it was very hot in the, it's always hot in the Egypt, it's a lot of sun. The Jews did not allow the, the Egyptians, sorry, did not allow the Jews to go and benefit from the shade of the trees. So he says, okay, you're not gonna let them, you're not gonna have any shade. Destroyed, all these hails went and destroyed the, 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 the trees. The Egyptians used to beat the Jews with stones and also with, with like this vulgar language. They would curse at them and scream at them. So to now they were, they were hurled with stones from heaven and the loud deafening threat, you know, noises of the thunder and the lightning and the booming crashing sound that also went and scared the, the Egyptian. So at this point, he gets warned. This is what Paul gets warned. And meanwhile, Bilam, the wicked man, he is still over there by the side of Paro, and he's still convincing. He's convincing Paro. He says, listen, don't let them out. He says, we, we stayed up strong until now. Let's go. Let's push this forward. So Moshe goes and says, and, and he warns him. says, they still had, we said from, last, uh, from the last few plagues, they still had some animals that were alive. They still have some livestock. Besides the fact that they bought livestock from the Jews. They went and they actually bought livestock from the Jews. So Moshe goes and tells them, says, you want it? he warned them, you want the livestock to live, you got to keep them hidden. you got to put bring them inside. Because if you bring them out, they're going to get killed by all this, uh, by all this hail. So 
um, you know, while this was, um, you know, while Moshe was, tell, you know, telling this to Paro, he was telling this in front of all the, you know, it wasn't in the private little, you know, pool that he had where he did his business. He actually told it in front of his palace and all his advisors. So Moshe saw that they were starting to get nervous. They were starting to speak to each other. There was some murmuring going around over here. So, um, Moshe goes and and he uh, and he leaves. And meanwhile, they're, they're, there's a conversation that's going on. And they start saying, "Listen, you know, for example, Eov said, listen, I think we should bring in our livestock. Don't be, you know, this guy is six for six, and everything that he said came true. So we got to be a fool to leave it out." Bilam says, "No, no, no. He says we're not. We're sticking to our grounds. I'm leaving my livestock out. Everything's going to be out." And many people went and they listened to to Bilam and they kept it out. Like fools, like how many times do you have to learn your lesson? Like six for six of not like, you know, good lucky guesses. It's going to rain tomorrow, six for six. You're talking about crazy supernatural ideas and they still went and they still went against their own, you know, common sense, which is a miracle in itself. And they went and they, and you see how they kept on, you know, falling more and more. So obviously they didn't listen. Paul didn't send out the juice. And the next day, the, um, you know, Moshe, you know, Hashem lifted Moshe up to the heavens. He spread out, spread out his hands and the plague began. And this plague began, it, first of all, it started raining, not big. It started raining regular small droplets. But as it got into the atmosphere, it, it expanded and fire created inside of it. And the speed that it kept on, you know, coming in. So, so much so that it was actually, it was, it was you know, some of them were fire inside and water, ice on the outside. Some of them was ice inside and fire on the outside. So the ones with the fire on the outside actually streaked of, of, uh, a flashing like, um, I don't know how you, how do you explain this? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a, like a, like, you know, like stars falling from heaven. So these, when these things burst open, they burst open and there was flames. It actually went up like to, to, you know, you're talking about like height of like 18 inches off the ground of like flames just like bursting. That, um, these, now, a lot of the Egyptians heard about this, they knew the warning, so they went and they hid themselves in bunkers and all these things, but they were, even though they were free, they didn't get hurt if they were inside and they kept themselves in, in, in locked up in a safe place and whatever it was that they were, like a picture of Miklat, right? They went into, the, like in Israel, you know, there's like these bomb shelters, so they made themselves bomb shelters, they, were, they kept safe up there, but they still heard the noises and the ground was shaking. Sometimes it's even scarier when you don't see anything and you keep on hearing like, you know, like, you know, it's like ridiculous noises that are going there. The whole ground is shaking, so it, that itself caused them to go crazy. So, the, the even though they, uh, most of them did bring in their animals, some of them did not bring in their animals, and they saw that there was so much hail that was falling in ice, that was falling from heaven, that it barricaded the animals, and even while it was falling, they tried to, you know, okay, let's try to bring in the animals, but it barricaded themselves in the field, um, and they couldn't bring in the animals. So these Egyptian ones said, listen, if these, we're going to lose these, these uh, animals anyways, let's at least get their meat. So they quickly run out, they slaughter the, they kill the, um, the, these animals, and they start, they take the meat, they put it on their backs, and they start running back into shelter. God goes and sends these birds swooping through these, uh, you know, falling hails. They see the, the, these meat over here. They grab the meat off them and they fly off. So they couldn't even benefit from their own meat that they had. These fires were actually fires by, of the fires of hell. They weren't just your simple run-of-the-mill uh, fires. And uh, so you had people that either burned to death you had people that froze to death from the ice, and then you had people that got pulverized from the pain of the impact of these, um, of these hail. Now people tried to go, and they tried to run to Goshen, because they knew Goshen is the safe haven. That's, you know, no, there's nothing falling out over there. And the coolest thing was, and I think this is one of the coolest parts, is that, you know how, like, you have now these, these missiles that have GPS navigation? So, you know, you, you see them, you know, like, they, you know, you to lock out a target, even though the target tries to move, it just follows the target. So these, you know, these, these hail had GPS navigation. Mm-hmm. These Egyptians tried to run to Goshen, it was like, you know, going down, and then it's like, you know, turns up, and it, you know, starts going up and down, zigzagging until it hits them, right on target, and, you know, you know, target, uh, you know, acquired. So, 
the, um, the hailstones went, they found them in Goshen and they killed them over there. So, the, some of the Egyptians, when they went, they, they figured, they, they knew that this was coming, so they knew, that what they wanted to do is they went into partnership with other Jews, and they said, listen, you know, I have a field, buy my field half and half, this way they figured that, you know, this way they'll be able to save their land. But, uh, God made a miracle that whatever land they made up, that it was the Egyptian versus the Jews, the, the, that part was completely destroyed, the Jews part came, stayed completely, uh, um, uh, safe. So, Swallowing his pride, Paul goes and he goes to Moshe and he says, listen, I had enough. This is the, he says, the, the noise in itself is driving me crazy. He says, I'll let the people leave. I'll let the Jewish people leave. You know, let them go. Please, whatever you do, stop the hail. Stop it right now. So, uh, Moshe says, listen, he says, uh, you know, we went through this charade already before. You told me we didn't go through that. How do I know I'm going to trust you? So Paul says, listen, I'm a changed man. You know how swindlers start to tell you. Like, listen, I'm a good business deal for you. You know, I'm a change man. He says, yeah, I'm a change man. Why bring up old stuff? Trust me, this time, I'm going to set you out free. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. So Moshe goes and he says, uh, you know, listen, I, um, I can't pray over here. I'm going to have to go out of the city as I usually do to pray because you, all you have full of idols and I can't pray full of idols. So Paul is telling him, he says, uh, why are you uh, telling me this now? You never told this to me before. He says, because every time before, I, the plague was stopped the day after you, you came to me. But now that you wanted to stop right away immediately, that you're going to send the Jews out, I have to tell you the slight delay is going to be until I go out. And this is why you know that there's going to be a delay. So he's like, all right, all right, whatever, whatever the delay is, just go, yalla, no, Zeus, you know, don't you want, don't you want your precious Jews to leave? He says, get out of here so we can get the, get rid of this hail. So, God, Moshe goes, prays to God, and the hail ceases, and everything comes back to normal. Now, the, the hail destroyed everything. It destroyed everything, but it left a few things still around for the, for the next uh, bonus plague of the locusts to come in. It left the plague of, of the, of, uh, I'm sorry, it left the wheats, and it left the spelt, the things that were, you know, unformed yet, so they were flexible. They didn't, it didn't destroy all of those. But everything else was destroyed. So, the, um, at this point now, the hail stopped, everything comes back to normal. So, uh, Moshe goes over to Paul, says, ah, so, deal still stands, we're going. Paul says, uh, listen, our agreement is null and void. So he says, what are you talking about null and void? He says, I, you had told me to stop it, I stopped it. He says, yeah, I told you to stop it, but I wanted the rain. He says, I, we need rain in Egypt, we don't get much rain over here. He says, you stopped everything. Null and void. He found the loophole, he thinks for himself, and he says, no, I'm not gonna, um, he says, uh, that's it. I'm not sending you out. Fine. Moshe comes in, and now on day in, day out, the same story, three weeks of warning, the next p- plague is gonna come. And the next plague was going to be the plague of locusts. You always think about it. When I was learning this, when I was younger, you know, locusts, I'm like, you just destroyed them with missiles from heaven. With literally like supernatural crazy things. There were, there were snakes that were crawling from their, under their house into their, into their house. And, and what's so scary about locusts? You know, what, you know, alright, so you know, you got a bunch of little, you know, insects flying around. Like the life size, like as big as people? No, no, I never read that. Would have been really cool though. <laughs> so, um, but, um, don't worry, God kept it really cool uh, still. So, the, um, Moshe goes over to, uh, to Paro and he, and he warns him about this play locust and he says, listen, don't think that all your little charades of pretending to let us go and then, then not letting us go didn't go unnoticed. He says, it's gonna come back to hurt you. And, um, so they go and Moshe goes and the, um, and the, the begins the plague of the locusts. And he tells him, he says, you know, the locusts, he says, he, he warns, the way he warns Paul is not just telling him his locusts, he gives him a little bit of uh, knowledge about it. He says, it's going to be so much locust over here, it's going to look like an attacking army that's going to be flying in. He says, there's going to be so many, so many species over here that they're going to cut, they're going to, it's going to be dark in Egypt for the next, while they're here, you're not going to be able to see the sun. That's how much locust it's going to be. It's going to be completely uh, nighttime. Yeah. 
And he says, furthermore, they're going to go and they're going to damage all the roots. You know, even though the hails, they destroyed everything, but there was still something that, you know, you could, you could, uh, you know, for the next season would be able to plant. He says, these, these locusts are going to destroy all the roots. And furthermore, there are going to be so many of them on top of another. Usually a person gets satisfied when he's able to see his food. He's able to see his food. He knows, you know, he ate enough. He's going to stop. When someone can't see his food, they just keep on eating. He says, these locusts, they're, they're going to be so much on top of another. They're not going to be able to see anything. They just keep on eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and nonstop. There's not going to be anything left in Egypt. And he goes to Mo, and Paul goes to Mo, uh, Moshe goes to Paul. This is your last warning. It's now or nothing. Are you going to let the Jews out? Paul says, "Of course, um, uh, you know, not going to happen." And the next day, pa, the um, the 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 plague begins. But before before Moshe was able to actually you know leave over here, the and the plague begin, there was a meeting with all the advisors. There was a meeting of all the advisors, and they came over to Paul and they said, "Listen." He says, uh, what are you waiting for over here? All right, what's with the stubbornness? He says, you know, we got seven plagues over here. They destroyed. Egypt was once a beautiful land. Look at it now. It's destroyed. It's at wreck. Just let them go already. No, let them go. Let them go. So he says, what are you going to wait for until we're all dead? Let's get rid of these Jews once and for all. So, you know, now Paul says, you know what? Okay, fine. He calls Moshe and, and, Moshe and, and Alan back and he says, listen. He says, um, I have a change of heart, you know. And the locust, this is what we actually got him. He says, uh, alright. And he starts the negotiation process again. He says, alright. You can go sacrifice to your God, by all means. Who is going to be going and who is going to be sacrificing? Says Paul. So Moshe tells him it's going to be the men, women, children, the elders. Everybody's going and we're going to take our animals also. So Paul says, listen. I don't see, uh, you know, why do, why do you need all of them to go? Women, children, they're not involved in the sacrifices. They don't sacrifice anything. Just take a few guys, a few men, and go and go and sacrifice. So Moshe goes and probably like, no, 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 no. He says, our festivals are for everybody, not just for, you know, a few people. So Paul is going back and forth, each trying to go into um, into a conclusion. Meanwhile, Moshe is, is telling, you know, it's all or nothing. And Paul is keep on trying to, you know, negotiate more and more. And Moshe is sticking on his grounds. So Paul goes and he says, um, and he says, listen, he says, all right, so how about, uh, let's compromise. All the men, go. Leave the women and children over here. And he says, no. He says, no, not going to happen. He says, and we're going to go all the men, all the women, all the children, and all the animals. And you're probably going to give us some animals also when we, can, we actually go out. So he says, uh, so Paul goes and he says, um, and, and he says, uh, um, you know, while they're going back and forth, and he sees that Moshe is not budging, he says, you know what? Forget you. I'm not sending anything. Gets all angry up with himself, self, self-induced rage. And he says, I'm not going and, 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 uh, leave, and sending everybody out. Go and do what you please. So Moshe goes, and uh, the sufficient warning was for the plague, and now the plague was going to begin. So Moshe was going to go. He extends his staff over Egypt. And this, this tremendous east wind was blowing all day and all night. The next morning, the plague, the locust is going to arrive with that wind. Now, what's the measure for measure? Why did they get locust specifically? So, the, um, the Egyptians used to, they used to steal the Jewish wheat and crops. Now, the only thing that remained was the wheat and crops. Now, the locusts are going to go and they're going to steal it from the Egyptians. The, um, Furthermore, they would, the Egyptian would deprive the Jews of any food. They would deprive them of any food. So now, any food that they have left, the locusts are going to go, and they're going to uh, go and eat it all up. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for locust is arbe, which is a uh, variation of the word harbe. Harbe is what the Jews were promised to be a varying great numbers, like harbe. So play in words, because you try to take down our, the Jewish nation, from being so great, then you will be brought in and be torn apart with arbe as well. Okay, so... 
there was seven, the, the locusts started coming in, and the locusts, you know, it came in, you know, usually it comes in from one side, and it takes time for it to fly over entire, Egypt was huge, Egypt was a huge, huge country, so it takes time for it to fly over, over everything, and back then, the borders, you know, the, back then they ruled the, you know, the one of the most powerful uh, ruling nations of the world. So usually, back then, it would have taken the locusts 40 days to travel across of Egypt. The miracle was that it did it all in one day. It did all in one day. And there was seven different types of, of, uh, of uh, locust species. But they were, um, you know, they were, think of them as like the locusts on like super, super steroids. Like crazy looking steroids. So like almost like as you said, like a life size uh, amount. They had, and, and look, look, listen how the Midrash goes and explains it. He says these are locusts like you've never seen before. They had teeth like iron. Their claws were sharp like a lion. The horns, they had horns like an ox. Their necks were like a horse. The wings were powerful like, a, like an eagle. And the, the, the shape was also a little bit different. They resembled fish and snakes. Yeah. And their saliva was poisonous. So it's not just your run-of-the-mill locust over here. You're talking about some serious, you know, lab, you know, crazy kryptonite-style locust that, that we're dealing with. So there was also on these locusts, it looks like they had armor. And on the armor had like sort of a letter that looked like a chet. For, for the, like chayalim, the chayal of God's army. It was literally God sending the you know army. These uh, these locusts they would they would be able to tear apart trees you know with their teeth and the claws they would they would they go through everything. They just they, they don't leave you know real food not real food doesn't matter they're eating everything. So they went through their roots they destroyed everything nothing was left for uh, uh, for the for the Egyptians to eat. After they finished everything out in the fields they started going into the homes of the Egyptians and they started going to the homes and uh, the Egyptians you know locusts is a delicacy. So they tried catching some of these locusts, killing them, and pickling them so they could eat, because the locusts ate everything. So they went and they wanted to kill these locusts, pickle them, and save them, and they'll eat them later. So um, they went and they, these, these locusts, they put up a fight. They had venom. They went and a lot of Egyptians died in this thing. But they actually captured a lot of locusts. They put them in barrels, they salted them, and they put them on the side. The... Um, and by the way, this, this plague also came accompanied with the, one of the usual, the poisonous snakes, you know, they like coming in. This is, I, you know, snakes are scary stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Snakes are just like, they're just, you know, they're small and they slime, you know. And so they, they, they're, they're pretty frequent in the plagues. So they have a lot of cameos. So um, they, uh, they, you know, so you have all these locusts all over the place, the snakes crawling from under you. It, it was, you know, it, it was beyond what Paro, you know, what he thought was the locusts, it, t- it took him in a whole nother level. So... He goes and he runs over to Moshe Aaron, the same, the whole same spiel. He goes over to them and he says, listen, he says, I've been a fool, I sinned against Hashem. He says, I sinned against Hashem. He says, please forgive me and remove the horrible locust. And he says, just do me one favor, let the Egyptians keep the locust that they captured for food. We don't have any food. So uh, Moshe says, uh, no can do. Because no gaining from any of the of the of the locusts, and but he did pray. He prayed that the that the that the locusts would go would go out. And there was a there was a powerful wind that came and it carried all or every single locust into the sea. This, the locusts would be waiting on the sea for when the Egyptians come in later. We'll put them on the side for now. They're going to come and attack them a little bit again later. So um, the the uh, but because there was no gain, you had all these dead locusts in these barrels. So there was there's there's two opinions what happened to these locusts. Either the live locusts came, they flung the dead ones on their back and they flew out, or God made a miracle that these locusts came back to life and they flew out of the pots and they and they also escaped. Yeah. So they were not able to um, go and and to benefit at all from this. Then one of the miracles about this is Moshe prayed. That the lo- that uh, the locusts should re- withdraw from Egypt. So because that prayer was so strong, there's never going to be locusts anymore in Egypt. Oh, wow. 
There's never going to be locusts anymore in Egypt. The frogs, he just, he just, uh, prayed, uh, prayed that the frogs should, um, that the, the plague of the frogs should come to an end. Not that they should leave. So because of that, the frogs are still there. But locusts you're not going to find in Egypt. So. The frogs, no. This, and this plague, the frogs not. They, yeah. They came, they came, they came also. They came again by the wild animals. They came. So, obviously, as we all know it, comes after the plague, everything is relaxed, Paulo says, I'm okay now, no can do, the Jews are not, uh, are not leaving. This is, we're talking about the, ne- the next plague, which is the ninth plague, which is the plague of darkness. The plague of darkness came uh, without any warning. And we're soon going to see that, it's, that, it, that it works really, that it, it had to be without warning specifically. So, Moshe goes, and uh, uh, the, there's no warning for this one. So, uh, let's first, so there's no warning, so let's jump into the measure for measure. What's the measure for measure for a darkness? The, the Egyptians used to make Jews balance candles on their head. And they used to punish them if they would fall and the, and the candle would go out. So the, the, uh, furthermore also, the Egyptians used to make the Jews, you know, they were, they, all they shouted and they complained and they just, you know, blocked out, they, they blinded themselves for the suffering of the Jewish people, so now they're going to get blinded by darkness. They also imprisoned the Jews in dark cells. They forced Jews to work well into the night, in the middle of the night, sometimes through the night. So because of all these things, the plague of darkness are going to go and, and befall on the Egyptians. There was also, unfortunately, this is a plague that actually affected the Jews as well. And the reason was, is that there were many Jews that were undeserving of the redemption. They were the wealthy people, the wealthy, very, very wealthy people of Egypt, that they were not really subject to the same torments as the Jewish brothers. And they were comfortable in their lives in Egypt. And they didn't want to go. They weren't interested in accepting the Torah. America is good for us. Let's stay in America. It was back then it was Egypt. Some of them were not slaves. Yeah, some of them were, they had a high power. So you look at, let's say, for example, Dasan and Abiran. They, they ride it out to the, you know, so there's different, different ways they got out. So, um, and Dasan and Abiran was one of those that didn't want to, uh, that didn't want to leave as well. So everybody so, who was wealthy, they were... Like, not everybody, not everybody. No, but there were, there were many of them in that, in that yeah. So, um, he says, uh, so, so they go and they say, uh, why do we need to leave? We don't want to accept the Torah, we want to stay right here. So, because of because of their sinfulness um, that these you know wicked Jews wa- had, that uh, they were going to die in this plague. And the reason why specifically in this plague is that the, the Egyptians should not see that oh the Jews are also suffering from this plague. It's not just us. So because of that, the God made it specifically in their darkness, so they wouldn't see the Jews dying. The Jews would go and bury their 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 fellow brothers, and the, they didn't even know. So yeah, we're gonna go to that. We're going to get to that. So the the um, the way that when this when this when this darkness when this uh, plague started, it started not not in the you know middle of the night. So you think okay, middle of the night, it just never got dark again for a whole week. It wasn't like that. It was in broad daylight. The strongest time, when the sun is shining the strongest, which is the third hour, the halachic hours of the day, it, it that's when it all turned into darkness. So it was, and, it, and it came like a swarm of darkness. It was an intense darkness that so dark that if you put your Egyptian would put their hand right in front of it, they couldn't see anything. Even after they adjust to it, even after they could, it's it was so it was palpable. It was a palpable darkness. So much so they tried to light candles, it would distinguish, it would extinguish, distinguish. It was a distinguished candle that extinguished itself. So, um, they were, um, it was smothered with, with darkness, but to, to even more so, this darkness was toxic. It gave off toxic fumes, so they had to, uh, like, cover their mouths and their noses to be able to breathe, um, without getting hurt and damaged. So, this, uh, this, uh, like we said before, wasn't the most pleasant time for the Jews. The, the, uh, this is the part where the Jews started dying. This is where, where, where the, they didn't the well, some of them, well, you know, did, did, but most, majority of them stayed up. Stay, you know, stick with it. So, there were Egyptians that died throughout all the plagues. 
All the plagues of Egypt died. No, no, also this. So... Like it was so dark that they froze. We're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. So the, the, for the first three days, this darkness only lasts for six days. The first three days of darkness was darkness that they would, the Egyptians would be able to move, but they couldn't see anything, and this is where they had the toxic fumes, and they were moving around. This is the part of, of when the Jews had to bury their Jewish brothers and when they, when they passed away, which is, you're talking about four-fifths of the Jews, 80% of the Jewish population died. Uh, surprisingly, uh, well, I actually shouldn't say surprisingly, but strangely, Dasan and Abiran did not perish in this, in this plague. They stayed up. So, the, the, uh, we'll explain afterwards. There's been too much. Uh, so the um, this this uh, this darkness it uh, it made the Egyptians really ill. Now after these three days of darkness finished, the darkness intensified. You're talking about quadrupled the the so much so that they were frozen in place. These and and when they were frozen in place, so you're talking about there was three days of regular dark. It wasn't regular darkness. It was even super darkness where they would be able to move. And then three days, you're not. You were sitting. You were you stuck. You stayed wherever you you were sitting for three days. You are middle of standing. You are in that in-between position. That's where you stayed for uh, for for three days. You are, you know, whichever position you are, you couldn't move. Now, one of the problems was is that the toxics, the fumes, were still there, and they were forced to to smell and and breathe in this toxics. And the miracle was is that most of them did not die. They kept alive through this. But uh, um, you know, and you think about it: no eating, no drinking, three days, just sitting in one spot, you go crazy. Um, and then to put above that, there's there's uh, these these toxic fumes that are going on. But God made sure their mind was stayed sharp. They stayed sharp, and while they had all this, um, you know, this this frozen state, they they saw visions. They they saw demons and evil spirits are coming in there. So, to make matters worse, it was it was uh, you know, and and uh, you know, it, it, it made a little bit and all that extra scarier. The the Egyptians, though, you know, the Jews at this at this plague after they buried the dead, they went and they sort of just roamed the Egyptians' town and they started walking to the houses. The Egyptians would be able to hear the Jews in their house. And they hear them, they were shuffling around, be like, oh, what's this? What do we have over here? The, the Jews did not take one single thing. They didn't take anything, but the Egyptians saw that the Jews were rum, rummaging around in their houses. And we'll see, we'll soon see. So, um, the, you know, the Jews are having a good time. Meanwhile, the Egyptians are seeing the Jews. They have, they see this, this vision, the Jews are having a good time. They see these evil spirits, they can't move, and they're suffering, and, uh, you know, with, the, with these fumes. This, uh, this is how it lasted for three days. One of the reasons that they went and they, and they searched around the house is the Jews went to see where all the Egyptians, um, you know, kept their gold and their silver and all their, their, uh, their, their, their expensive, um, valuables. Because when, it, before they, we leave, uh, Egypt, God tells, uh, Moshe to go tell the Jews to go borrow go borrow all these valuables from the Egyptians. Because God promised Abraham that the Jewish nation would go into, uh, into a land of slavery, but he also promised that they would say, they would go out with a tremendous value of wealth. He says, I'm not, I kept my end of the deal where, I'm, where, I, where they were in slavery, they're going out with a lot of money. So now, when the Jews are going to come to the Egyptians, and, the Egyptians gonna, and they're going to say, um, you know, can we borrow some? I, you know, there's a really nice bowl that I like. Do you by any chance have it? The Jews are going to be like, oh, no, I don't, I don't think I have that. They're like, no, no, no. I saw it in the plague of darkness. It's in your third closet and to the left, right in the above, behind the, you know, the crystal ball. No. So they went and, uh, this is one of the purposes that it was, it was darkness. That, but one of the miracle, one of the miracles, what? Like that yeah. Like, why the, do you want anything of theirs, like? Well, we'll soon see. We'll get to that when we, when we do uh, the actual part of the Yitzhak time. So. Alright. It's gonna <laughs> be a while. Alright. So, um, 
All right, let's pick up the speed a little bit. So now they had this, um, you, you know, you had the, 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 the Jews knew where everything was. The Egyptians now came uh, out of their, their darkness. Now realize all the, the plagues lasted for seven days, except for this one lasted for six days. Because one, one plague of darkness is going to be saved in also for the time of the crossing of the sea. So we have locusts put on the side also, and, and uh, that's going to come back. And the plague of darkness is also going to come back. So now... Paro goes over, uh, you know, he was really nervous about this plague of darkness. He says, who knows what's going to be in the future. He calls Moshe and Aaron to the royal palace. He says, I have a new offer for you. Moshe, you know, Paro's still negotiating. This guy does not learn his lesson. Moshe, he comes in <coughs> and he says, new offer. Take your men. Take your woman. Take your children. Even take your babies. But leave me the animals. So I know you're going to come back to me. So Moshe says, no deal. We're going to take the woman, we're going to take the children, we're going to take, uh, you know, the, the men, and we're going to take the animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, you know, we got to take all the animals. We don't know which ones God is going to want us to sacrifice. So, uh, angry that, you know, Powell, you know, you know they're not, uh, Moshe's not listening to Powell's, uh, you know, all his negotiation tactics. So he says, all right. He says, enough with you. Get out of my face, Powell tells Moshe, and I never want to see you again. So, so uh, Moshe says, you've spoken well, because I will never come to see you again in your palace. And he says, but Moshe tells him, he says, but you're soon going to come see me. And uh, he says, because there's going to be there's going to be another plague, and this next plague is going to be administered by none other but than God Himself. And when Moshe was about to leave, that God wanted to give Moshe his his pro- a prophecy now. Usually, God didn't give a prophecy to Moshe in the palace because it was full of idols. But being that Moshe said he's never going to come in again, God wanted to make sure that he's going to stick to his word. So God lifted Moshe ten fachim above the ground. He's literally hovering. Gives him the last, gives him the last prophecy. He says the last, pro- the last prophecy is going to be with, with the death of the firstborn. And, uh, he goes and he tells, he tells, uh, Moshe to tell Paro to warn him about this plague. So he lands again and, uh, he goes and he tells, um, and he tells Paro and he says, listen, there's going to be one more plague, the plague of darkness. He says, uh, and, and when he give, when Paro, and he tells him, you know, it's going to be exactly at midnight, and they're going to come, and all the firstborn in Egypt are going to die. And Paro hears this, and he starts, uh, he starts laughing, he says, that's the big, that's your big finale. He says, all the firstborn, he says, how many people are going to be firstborn over here? He says, the majority of us are not firstborn. So Moshe starts smiling back at him, he says, no, 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 he says, not, he says, he says, firstborn from anybody. It could be a firstborn, because they were very promiscuous. So each household could have five firstborns, ten firstborns. And they go with this guy, or they go with this, this, this woman, and this, you know, so they go, so any firstborn will get killed. But even more so than firstborns. It's gonna be anybody who even is the head of a household. Or anybody who is, presents himself as a firstborn. If he just makes himself for the honors of the first, because firstborn is a lot of honors. He also got in, thinking you're just gonna get, take the honors, you're not gonna get the other thing, you're gonna get that as well. So there was a few things that are gonna come out, and he says, oh, trust me, he says, you're going to become running to me. And, um, and, and Moshe goes and he leaves, uh, and then, you know, he turns around, no respect to Paro anymore with like backing that, turns around and just, uh, and, and leaves, uh, and leaves the palace. So, the, um, the night that, uh, the Egyptians were firstborn were supposed to die, there was, um, there was, uh, first of all, the, the, there was a very big miracle that, um, when the angel of death came, there was, usually the dogs bark, they, they, they sense certain things. The dogs barked in all of Egypt except in the Jewish, in the, in the Jewish thing. Not a single dog barked. And because of that, the great reward is that God even, even rewards those that any unfit, unfit, unkosher slaughter, whatever it is, un, uh, impure meat, you, you give to the dogs. You have to, you give it to the dogs. So, the, um, the, 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 the plague begins, and this plague, there is not even one household that survived anything. Some household had five or ten deaths. That's how serious it was. It wasn't just one person that, that died. So, 
the parom, at this point in time, before we're going to go even further into the into the story of the firstborn. Actually, no, I take it back. The, first, the, 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 the I'm sorry, I went too far. The plague did not start yet. I have to I have to insert something before that. It's called Pesach. Before the before the, the the start of the plague of the death of the firstborn, God gave a uh, a mitzvah to the Jewish people. Was first of all was kiddush chodesh. You have to uh, sanctify the new moon, and, and God explained to him, you know, that when the Jewish, uh, you know, the Jewish calendar works by the moon. So when you see a new moon, that's when the new month begins. Now we have it as a calendar, but back then, when we, the way that it used to be is they used to have two witnesses. They would testify when they see the, the beginning of the new moon, and that's when the new month uh, uh, began. Ordinarily, the months back then. By the way, you know, we have Nisan, yeah, we have all these Hebrew months. Th- those months are never written in the Torah. Those ones were put in later by the Chachamim. Um, it was during the time of the destruction of the first Bet HaMikdash. But the way that the Torah goes and explains months, it's how many months since the exodus of Egypt. So if, let's say you're one month since the exodus, two months since the exodus. Originally, the new year would, would be Rosh Hashanah, which is, you know, Tishrei, which is when Adam Arishan was born. That's when usually, but now, this superseded, the exodus of Egypt superseded even, even, uh, you know, the, that, uh, in, in the accounting sense. And therefore, from now on, the first Nisan is when, is when the new year, um, is, the, is where you say, you know, the first month. And then the second month and so on and so forth. The month? No, no. They were Persian, I mean, maybe they are a sense from Persian of like, more like an Aramaic, think of it like the Gemara and the Mishnah in that type of, uh, language. But they all had, they all have secret meaning, so it is all, you know, through Kabbalistic, uh, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, okay, you know, it's the month of, uh, the, you know, the goat, so we'll call it, you know, whatever it is, uh, the, the goat month. So, now after that, there is another mitzvah that God gave them, which was the mitzvah of Kaban Pesach. Kaban Pesach has to be a, a lamb or a goat that would be sacrificed on the 14th day of Nisan, that, and you have to eat it that night, the 15th day of Nisan. And on that night that you eat the Kaban Pesach is when God's going to destroy all the firstborns, all the, uh, the firstborns. And the, the eating of the Kaban Pesach is, is the symbolization where God is going to say, okay, the person, you know, you're eating it, you're whatever, you're in the house, and there's a few other character traits that go in, you get saved, you're not, and you're not. So the, the, the Kaban Pesach symbolizes where the Jews were saved from, from their death and the Egyptians were not saved from the death. No, no, no. Before, before. It was before. Yeah. I jumped the gun. My apologies. So this, uh, to stick this in beforehand. So, because I'm trying to make it as chronological as possible. So the, um, the, the animal that they had to do was a lamb or a goat. The lamb is the astrological sign of the month of Nisan. And it's also the animal that the Egyptians worship. And it's sort of declaring that the Egyptian gods are nothing. Is that we're literally slaughtering and eating your god. The, what was the question? The goat. You said it's going to land. Lamb or goat? It could be a lamb or a goat. Lamb is Nisan. What's goat? Which month? Of a goat. If a lamb is is the Nisan. Oh, yeah. No, not that. It could, it could be. I'm sure they worshipped that also, but I, you know, specifically it was the lamb. The lamb. I'll tell you what specifically. The lamb was specifically in the month of Nisan. That's an astrological sign. Right. And even more so is that. So maybe they all did lambs at that point in time. I'm, I'm not familiar. It could be. Um, but the the lambs. The the astrological sign is strongest in every. You know, in the middle of the month. Mm-hmm. And when did they slaughter them? In the middle of the month, the 15th of the month. Oh, so, oh, we'll soon see, we'll soon see, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in their face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it smelled good, trust me, it smelled good. Okay, so, 
the, um, generally, I, I, we don't have the time to go through the laws of the Kaplan Pesach, which I would have uh, preferred to do. I'll give you a brief idea of it. It's a one, the, the, this lamb or, or goat is one year old. It has to be observed for four days to make sure that there's no blemish. And then what they did was, is after you slaughter it, you roast it over fire, the whole thing, and then you take the blood that fell on it and you, and you put it on the doorpost. And the way you put it on the doorpost is you put it on, on the, you know, the left side, the right side, and on the, on the top. And it sort of makes a chet, chet for chayim, for life. And this is where, you know, the God passes over those, you know, with the, with the doorpost. So, the, um, meanwhile, the firstborns, you know, they, you know, everyone's gathering around, they see a bunch of sheep tied to people's beds, you know, they're just hanging around there, be like, oh, you know, uh, what, what you guys doing with our, uh, gods? So, they're like, oh, he's like, oh, you didn't hear? He's like, oh, we're going to slaughter them and eat them. And, you know, it's a kaban. And they explain, he says, listen, there's going to be a death of the first, the firstborn are going to die, and God's going to save us because we're going to have, you know, they're explaining that, you know, the situation. They were like, you know, we'll come, Circle back to that again. He says, well, what did you say about the firstborns? Because a lot of them were firstborns. He says, oh yeah, all the firstborn are going to die. So they were like, they ran over to their fathers. They're like, you know, Papa, whatever Egyptians call Papa. Right? So they says, uh, you know, did, did you hear about this? He says, he says, what are we doing? He says, I don't want to die. Moshe's nine for nine at this point in time. Everything that he says is right. He says, Look, get the Jews out of here. I want to live. And Paul says, uh, the father says, what are you doing to me? He says, oh, go, go, you know, he says, actually the father says, we're not leaving the Jews. I don't care what happens, the Jews are staying over here. And the, the son got really angry. So he says, you know what, go, go speak to Paul. So they went to Paul and they ran to Paul and they says, what are you doing? He says, let the Jews out. What, are you going to kill us? So Paul says, he says, he says, who sent you here? He's like, he's like, our fathers told us uh, to come to you. He says, so Paul got really angry. He says, I want your fathers killed. He says, what are you sending me all these headaches? So meanwhile, in Egypt, before this, there's civil, there's a civil war going on over here. And uh, there was a lot of, a lot of kids over here that killed their fathers. He's like, what do you mean you don't want, you're not going to stick up for me? And they go back and forth and they actually murdered their own fathers. And, um, and it was complete civil strife broke out in Egypt. You know, it was going out everywhere. It was haywire. So the, um, not only, did the, the, is the, pl- is the plague gonna be on first, firstborn people? It's gonna also be on firstborn animals. And not only is it only gonna be on the firstborn animals, all Egyptian gods are gonna be destroyed in this plague. If it was a god of metal, it would melt. If it would be a stone, it would just crumble or dissolve. If it would be of wood, it would rot. So God will destroy also all the, all the, um, all the idols, all the abodazarah. So they wouldn't think that, uh, you know, anything else can actually possibly protect them. The only thing that would protect them is the blood on the doorposts. So the Egyptians go and the, um, the, the, you know, they start, they start getting really nervous. And meanwhile, it's getting closer and the time is for Tushach, the Kabon Pesach. And uh, some of the Jews over there, one of the, one of the prerequisites in order to eat a Kabon Pesach is you have to be circumcised. And not all the Jews are circumcised yet. So, uh, and they didn't want to, they still want to be, you know, meshing with the, with the Egyptian society. They didn't want, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to commit so far in. So, um, they, the time for, for, there was a 14th of Nisan, and it was a time appointed for the sacrifice of the Kaban Pesach, and they started, they started slaughtering the Kaban Pesach, and they started roasting it on fire, and God made such an amazing smell come out of this thing, it was like the smell of Gan Eden, it was, it, it, and it started whiffing through the ear, and the Jews started coming over and be like, He's like, I gotta have a piece of that, he's like, he's like, you gotta, you gotta cut me off a seat, he's like, this, we can't, he says, only if you, only if you have to me not. Just do it. I need that. That uh, it tastes so delicious, and they were willing to do that so much so that it even went to the Egyptians. Who's their god? They're, they're roasting their god. The Egyptians came in, the, the saliva dripping from their mouth, and be like, "You guys have to give us some of that thing, please." And he says, "No, you can't." It says a non-Jew is not allowed to have it. So they went and they converted. Wow. 
They converted. They converted for to see. You could convert with a good meal. No. How is that a true We'll soon see they cause a lot of problems. So they went and you had a lot of lot of people that converted over here. They converted to Judaism. Besides the fact they also saw all these um, you know, all these miracles that God did. Mm-hmm. So they went and they actually converted and they um, they uh, you know they they were able to eat in the cup of Pesach. And these were later known to be the Al of Rath. But he what twenty percent that are left? Uh, did the right? Yeah, 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 that's true. That's right, that's true. So now they um the Egyptians used to torment the Jews the same way. Is that they used to used to cook something really nice and smells good, and they'll be like, "No, no, no, you can't have anything." So now, right back at them, it went. So now the um, the the death of the um, of the firstborn is going to begin. Before, do we have time? You know what? We're, we're gonna. I'm gonna go through this. You know, as long as it takes. We. I can't. I, I can't skip too much. Okay, so so uh, the the fourteenth of Nissan and the fifteenth of Nissan has a very very strong uh, you know amazing you know things in in Jewish history. For example, Haman when he wanted when he uh, wanted to beer, build that big tree and the, the, which hang Mordechai on, and the same night, basically the night that Haman's downfall was also of the fifteenth of Nissan. The um, the, the Sedom was also destroyed the 15th of Nisan. Sisra and his and his armies were annihilated the 15th of Nisan. Daniel was, you know, he got out unharmed in the lion's den the 15th of Nisan. Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, when he used the, the, the vessels of the Bet Dash, died also on the 15th of Nisan. Avraham Avinu, when he went to war against the four kings, also was the 15th of Nisan. And we also spoke about a story last uh, last week where there was um, a woman, Rachel, that uh, uh, Rachel, the daughter of Suselach, that uh, had a baby and it went into the cement right away. They just threw it right away in. And because of that, the angel went and it brought it up to to Paul, they brought it up to uh, not to Paul. They brought it up to, to I'm sorry to God, and because of that, it was decreed that exactly one year from that point in time, the Egyptians are going to die. The Egyptian firstborn are going to die. So it was also that also happened on the 15th of of Nisan. So comes over here the 15th of Nisan, and exactly midnight. Usually it's really dark. It became light as day because God wanted the Egyptians to see it. Not just because back now you have light, so nighttime is not, but back then dark is, you know, nighttime is you don't see anything unless you have a candle and then you're able to see something. But God made it light as day so everybody, um, everybody could see. No, 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 this is not the Makkah of darkness. This is light. There's light over here. Now, how did the, how did these people die? So there was a poisonous gas that started coming down through the ear. And every firstborn that inhaled this gas died. The, but the miracle was that the Egyptians that were not firstborn did not die. They smelled the gas and was not, uh, they didn't, they did not die. So, um, the, but there were other people that died that died a different way. There were other ones. There was, there were, you know, God came down basically. Uh, you know that He did it. God Himself went and, and killed all the firstborn. So there was tremendous noise, thunder, and lightning. Some of them actually died just from the noise. Others died without anything, without the gas, without without the noise, just simply like that. They just died. The some one group of them died instantly. Another group of them died. They struggled for life until the morning, and a third group they were they were deathly ill for three days, and then they died. So, the the, the miracle thing was is like let's say for example the lightning, the thunders, and things like that did not harm the other Egyptians. Only the firstborns. Only the firstborns are the ones that died. No, no Jews died over here. So. The firstborn animals died as well. Now, uh, even more so, there was um, 
there was a woman that was in the palace when Moshe was giving Paro the warning that now there's not going to be a household that's not going to be suffering. That's not going to be crying out and, and screaming in, in uh, you know, because of the death of the firstborn. There was a woman over there, a little chutzpanit woman, that she goes up and she says, oh yeah? She says, I'm not going to be suffering anything. She says, I don't have any kids. I'm, I'm by myself. Who am I going to mourn for? And Moshe says, don't worry, you're going to scream the loudest. Oh and, and, uh, and, and, you know, he leaves <laughs> after that. So, besides the death of the firstborn, there was more. There was bonus to this, uh, to this makkah. <laughs> that the Egyptians, what they used to do is they used to sculpt this uh, sculpture. If they had a, a kid that died, they would sculpt the sculpture of this kid. And they would put it like one of, you know, one of their rooms. And they would dance to it and they would sing to it. And so much as if they, this person this was, was alive. Now... The, um, the, you know, when, when God came in to, to destroy all the first, to kill all the firstborns, God also destroyed all these images that were, that were, uh, going on. So this woman, this woman who was there, she started screaming one of the first because she had her firstborn died. And God went and destroyed that particular thing that he had, that she, that shrine that she had in her, in her statue, memorizing her, her first Deborah child was, was destroyed to pieces. And it was like, you know, now she was like completely alone in the world. She was screaming to the high heavens. So, the um the even more so was that the there were dogs that just came in and these dogs they came and they started digging in the ground the, in the Egyptian cemetery and they pulled out these corpses of the family members that these Egyptian had and they brought them and they started you know basically um ripping apart the dead family members that the Egyptian had the, so all their ancestors were, were you know, they, they were defiled, and the, you know, it, it was it, it was tragedy from all ends. They were they were getting beaten up. The Egyptians that were sort of scared of this, and they knew that what God, you know, Moshe says is God's word, and that everything is going to happen. So they were nervous. So they went and they they brought their kids into the into the Jewish home. Some of them even put them in the same beds as the Jews. And God went in, and the Egyptian died, and the Jews slept. Like a like a baby, you know, could, didn't even wake up. They all the Jews slept. They slept great. They slept amazing. So they're sleeping the entire day. Meanwhile, there was not a house in Egypt that was not screaming and crying from pain and suffering and um, and also depression. So the um, one of the reasons that the that Hashem destroyed also the Egyptian gods as well is that no one could ever say that it was one of the Egyptian gods that did these things. So you know, blotting them out one by one. God destroyed every Egyptian god except for one. The one is called Balsafon. Balsafon, Hashem allowed this, this idol to remain. Thank you. Hashem allowed this idol to remain, sort of to allude to, to, to make them, to make them think that the power, there's a power to this God. They wanted to still, you know, and we'll see. It's gonna, we're gonna come to it later. So, the, um, Paro goes and, and, and people are dying left and right. And Paro was nervous. Because on one opinion, he was a firstborn. Last week, we spoke about that he was actually a second child. So even so, he was still the head of the household. He still had many reasons that he also was going to die. And he knew that he was going to die as well. Didn't his son die also? No, Batya was his firstborn. So, um, so, so uh, he goes and he starts run. He's like, he starts running. There's only one place he could run to. And that's Moshe. He says, he got to stop this place. He sees everyone's dying. Also the firstborn. He knows he's, he's, he's next. So he starts running. So he goes and he starts... Um, he starts, he starts running for, to find Moshe. Meanwhile, you, you know, these, the Egyptian, you know, firstborns are dying left and right. But it wasn't just the Egyptian. If let's say somebody came to visit, a foreigner came to visit, there, and they were firstborn, they also died. So they wouldn't think that it's their God that was protecting them or something like that. Everybody died. If they had captives in their dungeons and they were firstborn, they also died. So they, they wouldn't think, oh yeah, my, my God, because you captured me, is killing all you guys out. So they also died. So nobody, nobody could possibly say that it was anything else other than God. 
So Paro goes and and uh, he takes Batya and he starts running. Batya, we know, is who raised Moshe, and he yeah, he's pulling out all the cards now. So he goes. I thought he cared about her. I don't know. I don't know how much he cared about her. Maybe he did. So, yeah. So he goes and and he runs. He runs to uh, he runs to the Jewish part of town, and he goes into uh, in, into town and he starts screaming, Moshe, Moshe, Moshe. You know where are you, Moshe? And Ari starts screaming. Meanwhile, you know he gets the to God told all the Jews you have to stay inside. You cannot go outside in the plague of darkness because once the angel of death goes around, it could you know. So you're safe if you stay inside. So everybody was inside. I'm sorry, the plague of uh, Makat Bechot. Thank you. That was no, 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 not the darkness. It was a plague of Makat Bechot. So um, they, um, you know, pa- Paro is screaming, and God made it sound like you know the whole the whole Egypt. You know, it, it's it went out. His voice was like a loudspeaker that everybody heard him. You know, crying like a baby, and you know, trying to get Moshe. So he runs into the Jewish part of town and he starts knocking on people's doors. Where's Moshe? Where's Moshe? So, you know, they go and they start, you know, playing around with him. You know, you ever ask an Israeli how to, you know, directions? Mm-hmm. It says, okay, listen. You go, you go straight. You go straight, straight, straight. You make a right. You go straight. You make another right. You go like, uh, make a left right away. And you go straight. So you see it right over there. And uh, so Paro's knocking in. And, you know, so the Jews, are, you know, you know, the same with the Galinim, you know. You know, you go straight. You know, so he's going over there, and these these uh, these uh, Jew, Jewish, uh, you know, little children. They're like, "Oh, you want Moshe? No problem. Go straight, straight, and make a right over there." So he goes, and he follows the direction, but they send him to the wrong place. And he's like, "Moshe?" He's like, "No, no, 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 no. You, oh, you want Moshe? Okay, okay. No, no. Where you come from? Okay, no. You got to go. You go straight over there and make a round by the garbage. Go keep on going straight, straight, straight. I left over there. Moshe's right over there, and he's running all over town. He's screaming in his pajamas, right all over. That's what the kids sing and nothing. Probably pajamas in the middle of the night. He's literally going running back and forth. It was a comical, you know. You have your and by the way, um, you remember how tall he was, right? So it was it, right. <laughs> so it, was, it made it all, you know. All the more so that uh, that uh, comical. So he's running. He's and finally, finally, after who knows what, he finally gets and he finds and he finds Moshe. He finds Moshe and he's knocking on the door on the door of Moshe. And uh, he goes and he says, uh, Moshe, I need to, I, I need to speak to you. He says, oh, Moshe says, oh, I, I'm sorry, I can't I can't come out. He says, and by the way, didn't you tell me you never want to see my face again? <laughs> so he's like. So Paul, uh, so Paul says he says, uh, um, listen, he says um, I need to talk to you. He says, all right, so talk. So. So he starts saying, he says, uh, um, he says, you know, you said, you know, Paul goes to him and says, you said only the firstborn are going to die. He says, there's so many more than the firstborn that, that, that died. So he says, so Moshe says, listen, he says, I says, I told you, it's not only the firstborn from, you know, from the family. It's going to be any firstborn. Anything that's related to that, it's going to, it's going to go, it's going to go. So Paul says, okay, fine, listen, listen, you win. You win. I kneel down. It's yours. You go, get out of my land, get, you take everybody, I'll give you my animals, just get out of here right now. I want you out of here right now. This minute. So Moshe says, oh, listen, what's the rush? He says, well, the night, you know, let us rest a little bit. He says, we're going to leave in the night like thieves. So besides, God told us we can't leave at night. We'll go in the morning when it's daybreak. No, we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave then. So, Paul gives him the go-ahead. But Moshe goes and he tells them, he says, listen, he says, um, you have to start announcing that the Jews are no more longer slaves and you have to, you know, you free us. So he, he was only required to say it once. He's like, but he's so scared. He's like screaming it again and again and again and again. He's like screaming, you're free, you're free, just get out of here, get out of my land. So just pray for my life. So Moshe goes and, and Batya was there also. And Batya goes with him and says, you know, I raised you. This is how, this is how you repay me. I raised you in my, in the palace. So Moshe goes over to Batya and he says, um, were you ever harmed in any of the plagues? And she says, you know, to be honest, no. He says, you're not going to be harmed, and don't worry, you're not going to die in the first, uh, first uh, uh, born plague either. You are going to be saved because of the kindness that you showed me. Yeah. 
No, man, woman, anybody, anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woman, any, any firstborn. No discrimination over here. <laughs> because the firstborn of Jews died when. Ah, um, uh, because of male boys. Yeah. Well, oh no, yeah, yeah. So no, you know why? Because we are considered the firstborn nation to God. So that's why their firstborn also died. But okay, let's move on. So. Um, this, in fact, was actually very revealing to the Egyptians. When the Egyptians saw that five of their kids died, so the, the husband goes over to the wife and be like, wait a minute. Oh. It says, uh, why, why, why do we have five deaths over here? <laughs> and, and, you know, so it sort of started coming out. You know, all the promiscuity was going out. and be like, what? The, I, you know, I only have one kid? So they, they could have had ten kids. All of them could have died. He says, what does that mean? That means that I, my, I only had one kid, the rest was with that, so it causes, uh, you know, Shalom Bide problems as well. So, the, um, the, the, the entire, these, these, uh, firstborns, you know, they're all strawn out throughout the entire streets, dying. What, God made them, some of them die, you know, live till the morning, so that the Jews would be able to see them, that actually, you know, fall out in death, and also the Egyptians were able to witness on, you know, of what, what, what will happen in the morning. So, comes the morning, and it's a mad rush for the Jews to leave. Paro is trying to kick them out. But uh, God commanded them and says, listen, uh, we got to strip Egypt of its wealth. Go ask and borrow for, for some... Uh, from, uh, we'll get to that. Okay. So, yeah. so go borrow some, um, some treasures from there. So the Jews had to go and they started... Now the Jews, you know, when you get a freedom, be like, I just want to book out of here. Forget about the, the money right now. Let's just leave. But they were, they, uh, you know, there was a commandment. God says you have to go and get all this, this money. So... Twist the Jew's hand. You gotta go get money. We'll get money. Fine. So he goes, and they go, and they and they start knocking on all the doors, and they start, and they, and they start, uh, you know, asking for that. Not only the Egyptians wanted them out so so fast. They said, take this, and here's a bonus, and take this also thing. They even things that they, did, they didn't even want. They just just leave, just leave. We had enough of you already. They destroyed. If you realize, Egyptian society, the Egyptian land was completely demolished from every single aspect of it, from A to Z, from top to bottom, was done. So the Egyptian, the Jews amassed so much wealth that they needed 90, 90 donkeys just to carry the personal fortune of each and every single Jew. Each and every single Jew, each Jew, 90 donkeys. Each Jew had enough resources to build his own mishkan. That's how wealthy they were. So Egypt has lost everything. Everything. Nassan? Yeah. Nassan and Avion? Yeah. We'll get to them. We'll get to them. So, yeah. So... Yeah, we'll get. Died, right? N- no, Paro's firstborn was Batya. So, um, so now the um, it could be. I'm sure his other firstborns died as well. You know, I'm sure he didn't have just one. So, uh, but um, but in any case, um, what the Midrashim says is, is uh, yeah, it does, it does, uh, I haven't uh, read it, focused on that. But anyways, let's move on because we are still have to do. Okay, all right. So the king, the you, you know. This whole story is um, comparable to, uh, you know, to, to, to like a king, where you have a a king that that goes and tells um, and tells his servant to to uh, make him a fish. The servant goes, makes him a fish, but it's a spoiled fish, and the king takes it, spits it out, and he says, "You know what? I'll give you a choice. You have three cho- three options. Number one, eat the whole fish, and that's your punishment. Number two, you will suffer one hundred lashes, or number three, you have to pay me one hundred gold coins." So the slave doesn't have that much money. He says, "Pass over the fish." He starts eating the fish. He's getting halfway through it, and he's like gagging. He's like, you know, he's like, it's like I can't. He's like, you know, just give me the lashes. And the king starts lashing him. He gets like fifty. He's like, I can't. Yeah, I can't already. It's too much. And he pays off the hundred gold coins. So if that fool would have just paid off the hundred gold coins at the beginning, he would have, uh, you know, went around it. The same thing with Paul. 
Paro had the ability to avoid all this punishment. Had he would have just let the Jews go, he would have been okay. They would have really went to spend three days. In the beginning, that's what the that's what the, yeah that's what they said. The question is, is how they would have you know escaped that. What Moshe told what Moshe told Paro is all I want is, is three days I to mean, sacrifice. Why did they need Paro's permission? Why couldn't they just? They can't leave it. There were there were slaves. It was all it was you know you, you, that place was was with it was certified with magic that you couldn't get out. It was uh, you know they had one hundred twenty thousand Egyptian officers protecting the borders. You know there was no well there was no. That was not the answer, was it? No, I was just going to say, Hashem can, can make miracles to do all these plagues. Yeah. He could have done it with one plague. He could have done one plague. All Egypt just dropped dead. Just every single one just dropped dead. Or everyone just turned to a thousand years old. They couldn't move, you know, the arthritis. And they would just like walk right out, right over them. But there's a reason specifically why it was done this way. It was done this way to show everything. Everything was, a, you know, we didn't have the, the chance to go into depth in it and what each plague actually proved and all that. But it all uh, um, it had a reason for it. Okay. Yes. Is there anything said about like the ten plagues correlating to like ten spirals? Yes. Yeah. There's, there's there's different things on that. Yeah. There's many there's many the ten uh, the ten mamarim the ten uh, first sayings of uh, the creation of the world. There's uh, there's many things on that. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, there's there's actually many sources for that. Many there's there's some Haggadot that also brings it down. But anyway, let's move on because uh, yeah. So the um, while the Jews were going and collecting all this, you want to turn on the heat? The uh, so, so the um, the Egyptians, um, while I'm sorry, while the Jews were getting all their all their, uh, thank you, while the Egyptians are getting while the Jews are getting all the Egyptian wealth, Moshe was doing two other things. He wasn't going for the wealth. He had to do number one. He was arranging that there was uh, there was trees that were planted that were supposed to be used for the Mishkan are going to be are going to be transported, and and additionally, <coughs> the promise was that Yosef's coffin has to be taken out of Egypt. So he was looking for Yosef's coffin, but he couldn't find it. He couldn't find the coffin until, so he asked uh, the the Serach Bat Asher, who was the only surviving member of the children of the Shvatim, and you know she said that she is yeah she said that uh, Yos, that Yosef was buried in the Nile and they buried him in the Nile because they thought it would give blessings to the Nile because he was very you know he was very powerful and he uh, he actually you know saved Egypt so they but they what they did was is that they put a lot of weight on his coffin and it sunk to the ground now go figure you can't go scuba diving now in the Nile try to figure find the scene so Moshe went and he took a um, a sheet of gold and he carved out on it Ale Shol Shol was uh, the um, one of the representation of, of Yosef so he threw this into the water and Shol Shol ox and and, a, and his, the coffin started floating up he took the he, and he went and he took the coffin and the coffin was really heavy it was also the other tribes were also inside that, uh, that coffin the other remains are also that so they went and they took the coffin and Moshe himself took the coffin he took it and this is what uh, this is what he was carrying and um, uh, meanwhile that sheet of gold there was a there was a little mischievous person by the name Micha that got saved by the bricks. Well, I don't know if we'll get to him. Maybe we continue the story. He took this sheet of gold and saved it for later. We'll soon see where uh, you know probably in our next series where he uh, where he used that. So the Jews, meanwhile, being pressed for time, the Egyptians are forcing them out. The Jews have to leave. They had this fresh dough that they couldn't. They were still needing. They couldn't do it. They couldn't. They couldn't finish it. So they took the leftover. They took over the the dough and they also took over the leftover matzah that they had from from last night from Marol. The, they had a pesach the night before. Bread to begin with, for the journey. Yeah, so they took this and they and they held it, even though they had all these donkeys that they would be able to go and and uh, put it on. But they, 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 the they appreciated the mitzvot of matzah and all these things so much. I said, no, 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 I know we can, we have plenty of places to put it. I want to hold it. It was that special to them that they wanted to hold it. So they pulled it, they hold it. They also put it on their backs. 
So the um, and this is where it says the midrash says that the sun was, came out and it baked the the just the matzot. It baked it on their backs, and that's when they were able to uh, to eat. So um, this this matzah actually lasted them for thirty days. Until they, from the 15th of Nisan until the 15th of Iyal, when they started receiving the man. And so this, this matzah actually lasted them. So, the Jews started traveling. They get out of Egypt. They go, they all assemble in, um, they all assemble in Ramses. I have this map over here. I, I, I don't think the camera's gonna be able to see it, but, um, so, so the Jew, you see over here, here's Goshen. Here is where the Jews all, um, this was the worst part of their, of their, um, subjugations in there. So they all, the Jews were all over Egypt, so they all united over here, and they're gonna travel from here as a, as a one nation outside of, uh, outside of Egypt. So they all, this whole thing is each. Okay, so let me give you a, a little bit of a brief idea. Okay, so, you know, so this is an ancient map. So, so this is this is Egypt. This this is the Nile, over here. This is the Red Sea. Okay, over here is Elat. This is Israel. Okay, this side is Israel over here. Here you have Libya. Here you have Jordan. Saudi Arabia is down here, and you have over here. Here is the here is Elat. So you have you see this. I actually drew it, but this line over here is the current border of Egypt to to Israel and Jordan. You have it on this side. So um, this is the but but we're coming in from this side. This is the side where the Jews are are coming out of uh, Egypt. And they go to the to the left. No, 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 no. From the, from the opposite end, from the Red Sea, Why, from this part. What's one, two, three? This is their way. We're gonna get to that. Where how they travel, okay. the order. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So okay. They were majority of them more, but they were still you know throughout the the land. So. They go and they start making their way out of Egypt. Now, when they came out of Egypt, we know that they had the the you know Ananiah called the clouds of glory. The clouds of glory were were there was there there was in front of them, behind them, on all sides, up and below, all over them. And um, they had also um, well, they were coated them. They also had a pillar of fire. So they went out. And they uh, they were traveling. By the way, this 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 Ananiah Kavod, if there was mountains, it leveled it. They were sort of. They didn't even have to walk so much. It was sort of carried them in this thing. It was like an elevator. If there was a, if there was a mountain, so they don't have to climb up the mountain and then down the mountain. They didn't have to go around it. The the clouds. No, the cloud just leveled the, the ground and they kept them going straight. And if there was scorpions or all these things, the clouds took care of that. It was such miraculous clouds that there was. It kept the temperature nice. And it kept the. It was amazing. So they are going and they traveled from. From uh, um, Ra- so from Ramses they went and they traveled to part number one where it's written over here which is Sukkot. Okay, this is where they went. To, this is the first uh, the first stop. So they went into it and as they finally you know like when somebody's at war and they have the adrenaline they're able to go through. But the second that you get freed and everything is okay then all the realization starts sinking in. And the strength that they had just started like, you know, flushing out of them. And they started, you know, like what they went through for 210 years of severe slavery that a lot of them became really severe, severely ill at that point in time. So the clouds, there was some sort of miracle with the clouds also that they went and they healed everybody. And they came back full to full health. So they, um, they went out and um, they went out. When they went to Egypt, they also included a crazy amount. They had two million last-minute Egyptian converts. Wow. There were 600,000, uh, you know, Jewish men from the age of 20, two million Egyptians converts. That's how many. And including in them is none other than the sons of Bilam, Yanus and Yambus. 
No. Yep, they came in as well. Moshe, uh, God says it's not going to be good to, to bring them along. Moshe prayed for them, and God says, if you want, go ahead. We'll soon see they're going to come to, they're not going to, they're not going to be so helpful. Jewish men and so nice. No, no, two million, two million Egyptians. Two million. Yeah. Two yeah, because you're saying so 600,000 Jewish men of that age, but then you had also the younger man, the older man, then you had the woman, the children. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were tremendous. 600,000, 22 age 16? Yeah, so, so, um, so now the um, 20 to age, no, 20 to 70. So they, um, they go and, I don't know, I was right, 20 to 60, yeah. 27 something else. So um, they go and and they start making their way out of town with their whole tremendous amount. They take all the Egyptians as well, and they're all going uh, all going out over there. So the um, the Egyptians though the the punishments and the plagues was not over yet. The um, what happened was is that the the you know the Jew the it, it was it was known that the Jews are going to be going into Eretz Yisrael Eretz Canaan uh, where the Pelishim are, are holding the land and they are going to take over the land and they hear that these these Pelishim hear that these Jews are coming into you know they're going to be coming in towards they left Egypt so which means they're on the way to to their land so they go up and they 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 destroy the entire land. They destroyed the entire land because when the Jews come, they're not going to have anything. So they ripped up the grounds and they destroyed buildings. They basically destroyed their own land. But meanwhile, they didn't realize the Jews weren't coming in there yet. So meanwhile, they had to go and they had to rebuild themselves. And they, yeah. So, so they, so the Jews go and they start, um, and they start, uh, and, and they start to make their way out to, um, to, to, uh, to Egypt. Now, uh, out of Egypt, when they go over there, they, they all congregated. They all ended up in Sukkot. So Sukkot is over here, right near the, right near the. Um, is that a place? Yeah, it's called Sukkot. Yeah, they, yeah. That, that was the day number one. On day number one, they left. They they went. They they reached to Sukkot. So they traveled this in one day. From day the second day, they traveled from Sukkot. They went to this place called Itam, right over here. So. The um, they went and um, you know they didn't. They know how, how did they know where to go? They had the GPS. The GPS was it was a nice pillar of clouds, and it was just directing them exactly uh, where to go. It was actually a huge vertical beam that reached from the sky to the ground, also point them in the in the direction that they need to go. Now, when night came, you know, night in the desert is very cold, dangerous, and that. So you had the the the, the there was a pillar of light that gave them the heat, and it, it basically the pillar of of light protected them at night. The clouds protected them during the day. And they protected them from everything, from the animals, from the heat, from the level, from the pits, everything that, that possibly go wrong, the snakes, everything they were taken care of. So, the, um, meanwhile, the, um, Paro for some reason. Yes, I believe so. I believe so, yeah. You're right. So, they're traveling from here, then the, by the third day of their travels, they, it was Shabbos, so they rested. It was Shabbat, so they, they rested, they didn't go. And on Sunday, which is the fourth day out of Egypt, they started traveling, you know, further away. Now, the, um, the, during this time, the Paro, when he sent out the Jews, he sent out a, a small Egyptian army as well to escort them. Basically, he was, you know, even though he told them you're free, he basically wanted them back after three days. It was on, under his understanding, we're gonna, you're gonna go off three days and you come back over here. So, yeah, yeah. So all your questions will get answered. We have to like plow, plow through because we're not going to get... No, no, it's not a problem um, but because we have a lot and it's getting late. So um, let's just try to plow as, as fast. But most of your questions will get answered. If not, I'll be here as long as you need me. We'll go through the um, through all those things. So now, 
the, he, until his time, so to answer your question, yeah, he thought that it was still going to be three days. It was three days that they were, that were coming up. Now it was the fourth day already. So the Egyptian, um, you know, people that were around there were like, all right, listen, um, time to head back to Egypt. You know, it's been, uh, you know, three days out. You got to, you know, you got to make your way back. So the Jewish people says, no, 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 not really going back to Egypt. So they said, well, you better go back to Egypt. So the Jewish people went and they jumped on these soldiers and they started, you know, they killed some and wounding others. And they, all these soldiers went and they started running back out to, uh, they ran back out to, uh, to, to Egypt to tell, to tell Paul that there's no interest in these Jews in coming back home, uh, back to their, to their, uh, you know, rightful place. We'll see, we'll see. No, they, they, we'll see. Yeah, we need, they need the coffin. So Hashem goes and, um, and he tells them, he says, listen, he says, I want you to do, and if you see it over here, you're going to make a circle and you go back to the direction where you came from. You know, you're going to make this, this sort of make believe like, you know, Paro will think that you guys are lost. You don't know where you're, where you're going. Um, so he says, um, and, and he says, and, and, but don't worry, Moshe goes and tells the Jews and he, as they're going back towards the, you know, if, if you see it, it's going back towards where they came from. Um, and, you know, sort of the, the point of this was to lure Paro out of Egypt. Because Paro had to get out of Egypt and to be destroyed in the, in the, in the sea. So, and they, and they traveled from here and they went all the way to the third stopping place, which was Piachigot, which was near Baal which we're going to explain. So, in this, in this location, it was called Piachigot because it was like the opening of the free. Because once, if a, if a slave was able to get this far from Egypt, then you know you're a free man. Like after that, you know you're a free man. But in this place was a very, very interesting natural, Natural looking stone shape. It was two stones, huge stones. They looked like, um, it, it had two pillars that they looked like, and it, would, it had an opening of a mouth. And it had a, it looked like it had a face of, a, one was shaped like a man, the other one was shaped like a woman. They had two round eyes. And the miraculous thing was, is that this was all natural. It wasn't humans that came around to do that. It was a natural thing. And this was the temple of Baal This is the only temple, the only idol, I'm sorry, that God didn't destroy. When he destroyed all the idols over there. Sort of to think to Paro that, oh, you know, they were able to get so far, but my idol, Baal he he got them. So under this idol, Yosef actually hid tremendous treasures because he, he got, he was so wealthy. He made Egypt so wealthy because he got all this money from all around the world that they came in the famine that he took all this wealth and he put it inside this, uh, in the underground over here in this temple. So all the Jews came and they packed out all the, all the, the wealth as well from this, from this temple. Yeah, third stop. So, while in this, in this, uh, place of, of Piachigot, there was next to it, there's also stood a very, for, a strong fortified tower of Egyptian military. They knew that this is where the, the slaves try to, to, try to escape, so they put them over, uh, they put them over there. So meanwhile, they're, they're stuck over here. The Jews come to this area, and this area, they're boxed out on all sides. On one side, they have, it's a very dangerous area with dangerous animals, dangerous beasts. On the other side, they have the ocean. On the other side, they have this idol. So they're, and the other side, they have the military, uh, you know, uh, you know, this, uh, towers. So they were sort of boxed in over here. And the Jewish people were put in like bait. To lure out the, you know, the fish into the sea. So the, the, um, when Paro heard about this, he heard that the Jews stopped in, in this area. He's like, he's like, I knew it. He's like, my, my idol got it so strong and he could, they could, they cannot pass him. So this is at the fifth day after the Exodus already that the Jewish uh, people are standing over there and they're camping over there. And, um, the, the, at this point in time, the, the soldiers come back to Paul and they tell him the Jews are not coming back over here. They're trying to escape. And he realizes that they're trying to escape, but now they're stuck by this, uh, by this area. So, um, meanwhile, the numbers, the, some of the members of the Erevrab, these Egyptian converts, they decided, you know, they don't like the way that this is going. You know, Paro is going to come. We're boxed in. It doesn't look good. They decide, you know what? We're, we're going back to Egypt. And they go and they, and they start, no. And they start, they decide that they're going to go back to, to Egypt. So they go 
And they, these, these people, they go and they approach, they approach Moshe and they say, listen, we gotta to return to Egypt. We gotta keep, keep our word to Powell. So Moshe says, no, you don't have to worry. We're never going back to Egypt. So they, they wanted to go and it was, it was some sort of a feud going on. And many of these, of these Elevrab died. Because they would try, they started fighting and they started, they wanted to go out. But some of them survived and they ran away. Not all of them, this was a part of them. And they ran away, they returned to Egypt. Now these people also came to Egypt. And these people also came over to Paro and told them, these Jews are not coming back. And he says, we were there with them. And they started apologizing, we shouldn't have left, yada yada, the whole thing. Meanwhile, Dasan and Aviran are still in Egypt. And uh, he turns over, Paul turns over to them and he says, uh, what do you think? He says, I think we should go and re- recover our lost property. He said, uh, you know, so... So finally, Paul made a decision. He says, he makes a decision, we're gonna go and chase after the Jews, they're, they're waiting for us. We're gonna go, we're gonna get them back, we're gonna get all, back all our property, we're gonna get back all our slaves, we're gonna come back to where we were before. So, but, but the problem was, is that there were still painful memories, very vivid memories of the plagues. So the, um, you know, the, the Egyptians, you know, used to listen to Paul blindly. At this point in time, they're like, listen, you know, should we really go, should we really go and, and, uh, um, you know, chase them? So they all started, um, the, the advisors, he all came up with the advisors and they all gave him their uh, opinions. They, so one advisor says, you know, the Jews, the departure of the Jews is a very, very great loss, a big loss to the, to the Egyptians. Not only did they take our treasures and they take our livestock, but we're losing the valuable slave labor that we have. And the other ones, uh, the other one goes, another advisor says, not only that, he says, we're losing millions of our good Egyptians. Our own Egyptians went with them and they converted. And a fourth one said, listen, he says, welcome, everybody, welcome, all our Torah Anytime viewers and listeners and subscribers. And we would have, you know, managed these Jews well. You know, we, we just mismanaged them. He says, we got to get them back, manage them well, we're going to get wealthy, back wealthy again, uh, you know, to this time. He says, furthermore, he says, what, since, the, since the Jewish viceroy, Yosef, was here, he says that we control the entire world. And now that the Jews are going to leave, he says, until this point in time, these, these nations still gave them a tribute to this, to the Egyptian. What do you think that the nations are going to say now that we can't control our own slaves? That they're not going to give us tribute anymore. We're going to lose much more than we just lost today. We're going to lose, we're going to lose our reputation. We're going to lose our money in the future. We're going to lose everything. He says, we will lose our empire. And now, you know, when, um, you know, power takes us all into consideration and he says, uh, and he says, you know what? He says, it was my fault. I shouldn't, you know, I should have consulted with my idol, Baal before I, uh, before I, before I let them out. But he says, this idol was so kind to me that he trapped the Jewish people. He's waiting for me to go and get them back. So he decided, and he says, Paul says, I made up my mind. We are going to go and pursue the, the, the Jews and we're going to get them back. And, but now he had the, the problem and he had to go and convince all the, all the Egyptian men to go and, uh, travel and, and, uh, basically put themselves back into the Jewish hands where they all just want to get rid of the Jews. So he makes an announcement. He says, anybody who participates in this campaign to go and get the Jews back will get very, very heavily rewarded. Be, you'll be rich to the end of your days. And he says, even more than that, he says, I'm so confident in this that usually a king travels in the army in the back. He says, not this time. He says, this time I'm traveling in the front. I'm running the front line to show you that we're going to go that. And even furthermore, he says, we're bringing all our wealth. You know, they, they, the, in the olden days, they used to bring all their wealth with them on the, on the army, in, the, in their fights to show, give confidence that we're not losing. You know, we're not losing. So confident that we're not losing that we'll bring in all our money over there to show you that we're going back with our money. So, they take all the valuables. Now, these valuables, by the way, were much more valuable than everything the Jews took because Paro emptied out his treasure house. And Paro, you know, until before had they had common people's treasure. Now Paro emptied his treasure house, put like everybody had like, you know, gold and silver, a tremendous amount of value of, of, uh, that was, was traveling, you know, out of Egypt. 
So, Paul gets so into it that he doesn't even wait. He doesn't even ask anybody to put and saddle his horse. He does it himself. He saddles his own horses. And the Egyptians, you know, they start coming in, in hordes. And they take all the, every single horse that was in there, they took all the horses, they booked them up. They made, so Paro put six, he had 600 deluxe um, war chariots. And these war chariots, you had accompanied by 300 heavily armed soldiers. This is not including, you know, other, uh, you know, uh, artillery, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Whatever the 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 weapons and the that they used and the and the soldiers that they used, they usually these heavily guard. You know, they they would take two strong horses that they would carry these chariots. But not not now. Paul wanted speed, so he gave each chariot an extra horse. Each each one had three uh, three uh, three horses. There now, Paro didn't realize that he he know he still didn't know that that four fifths of the Jews died. So he's calculating how many Jews there are as four-fifths. So he says, listen, he says, we need at least some three, we're talking about about three million military uh, Jewish men of age. He says, we gotta, we gotta supersede that. So he is bringing in a crazy amount of people, because the Jews are just 600,000. But he's thinking that there's still three, three million, uh, in additional to all the, the Egyptians that he has over there. So he's calculating all that and he's bringing that many supplies. Plus the Egyptians that converted. Yeah. So he goes on, and uh, they they all start packing out. The Egyptians were, were split into three categories, three different groups. Uh, one group was was they were, they didn't care about killing the Jews; they just wanted to take back their money. The second group had no interest in the money; they only wanted to kill the Jews. The third group both wanted to kill the Jews and take their money. And we're soon going to see when the way that they died in in the sea is each going to correlate how they died, but depending on their level of wickedness. Yes, the women and children. So it was the sixth day since they left Egypt. In the sixth day, they are um, the power goes and they leave out to um, to to travel to get to um, to to the Jews to try to bring them back. Meanwhile, the Jews are celebrating the freedom; they're enjoying themselves, and um, they they uh, you know they moved a little bit away from from this piachigot. Now, but at still at the same point in time, they were still boxed in. So power goes and uh, while, while and he's and he starts traveling. Meanwhile. The, the angel, we're gonna go a little bit Kabbalistic over here, we're gonna go a little bit, uh, you know, in the heavens. Now the, um, the, the, the archangel of, of Egypt, his name was Uzzah. Now he went, his interest was in Egypt, so he goes over to, uh, to heaven, and he says, uh, listen, your majesty, the Jews were supposed to be in exile for 400 years. They were only exiled for 210 years. He says, let my nation go and capture, bring the Jews back for the remainder of the time. So God answers it back and says, no, no, no. He says, I never said they have to be slaves for 400 years. We spoke about this in the first class. He said they have to be in a strange land that's not theirs for 400 years. And that was fulfilled already. So, the um, Paro now was, uh, being that he, you know, s- stuck it so strong uh, against, you know, he failed to honor God, he is going, the, the, they're going to fall and they're going to fall strong. The Meanwhile, the, the the Jews hear that the Egyptians are coming after them, and they start seeing this Egyptian, massive Egyptian army. You're talking about some serious army that was traveling towards, uh, you know, uh, towards the numbers were so big that if they would have just picked up and thrown dirt on them, they would have buried the, the Jews. That's how many Egyptians there were. So they, um, the Jews were they're starting to, why, and even more so is why they started getting scared is that they saw the Egyptian, you know, army coming, but they saw the Egyptian angel hovering above the Egyptian army. You know, Uzzah, he was, he was hovering over them and he was coming. So they got, they got really scared and they, they started getting really nervous. And meanwhile, through, throughout their, the entire Jewish camp, there was a feeling of repentance, of tshuva that was coming to them. Because now, beforehand when they were suffering, you know, they always pray to God. You always pray when you're in bad spot. But now they aren't praying because God says, I missed some prayers over here. So all of a sudden, God gave them a reason to pray. And they started praying and they started doing tshuva. So meanwhile, while, yeah, meanwhile, while the Jews are doing tshuva, God is offering sacrifices to his Baal to his idol, thanking him that he was, um, you know, d- did what he, uh, what he did. So meanwhile, this, there was a great turmoil. 
Paro, Paro was offering. Did I not say that? You said Ga. No, Ga, Ga, Ga. Take that out. Sorry. Sorry. So Paro was offering his god, which is a fake god, which is an idol. Thank you very much for doing that, um, for telling me. Um, that he, yeah, he was offering to Balsafon um, and thanking him for capturing the Jews. Now, the, amongst the Jews, there was tremendous turmoil. There was one group that they decided they want to surrender. They want to surrender. It says, listen, the Jews, they, we're, we're, we're dead. We're dead meat. Let's just surrender. We'll go back to Egypt without any resistance. A second group said, no, no, no. It says, we'll, we'll battle them. It says, we're not going back to Egypt. We'll battle them. A third group says, whatever, you know, what we could do is just make a noisy diversion. They're so scared of us. If we make them scared, they'll just run away. A fourth group, they, what they want to do is says, listen, we'll just go into the ocean. I'm not going back to, you know, I'm not going to get locked up back in there again. So, the, um, you know, while this was going on, there were some wicked people amongst the Jews still that they started complaining. And they said, listen, Moshe, he says, uh, you know, why did you take us out over here? He says, you took us out. There was not enough burial graves in Egypt that you have, we have to go and bury it over here. He says, why did you make us take the money? So that's why they're coming here. Had we left the money over there, we would have, they would have left us alone. So, um, Moshe goes to them and he says, you know, you don't have to worry. You don't have to make any noisy diversion. You know, you only, the only noisy thing that you have to do is your prayer. He says, you don't have to con- be concerned with the battle. God is going to take care of everything. And he says, one thing is for sure, complaints is not, not, definitely not going to uh, benefit you. So, while, after Moshe said that, the Jewish people turned around and they saw on their, on, on, you know, they saw the, the ministering angels they, that were protecting them. The Jewish people who were coming to them, they sort of felt relief. You know, they saw what they had, they saw what the other people had. They sort of uh, were, were relaxed a little bit. Okay, so meanwhile, Moshe started praying. And God tells Moshe, he says, there's no need to pray now. He says, you've got to lead people into the sea. And he goes and uh, Moshe lifts up his, his staff towards the sky. And this huge wind comes from the, from the east. And it starts, you know, you know making some, some movements going on. Moshe then put it out down his staff and he was going to stretch out his hand over the waters. But the problem was is that, you know, we're going to go zoom back up to the, into the upper worlds. There was uh, the Satan, you know, sort of, you know, came in with a, he says, why should, the, why should the sea split for the Jews? Because they worship idols. In fact, there's somebody amongst them, Micha, he still has an idol hidden among them. He says, why should we, why should this, why should we split, the ocean says, for this nation? This nation also served idols. The Egyptians served idols, they served idols. Why should we split? So they go through, there's a whole judgment. And the, um, you know, even the angel of Egypt, Uzzah, also was in there. And because the angel, uh, the, the, you know, all these Egyptians were condemned to death. They were decreed that they were going to die. So Uzzah, was, now the angel of Egypt, was trying to go and try to get them. says, why do we have to die? He says, maybe we could, you know, work something out. So... Uzzah was protecting Jews? No, Egypt, Egyptian. So the... Um, the, you know, they go through the entire history of what the Egyptians did to it. They reviewed the case and it says, look what they did. They, they, you know, not only that, after everything, power kept on denying God. And at the end, 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 the one thing that, that, that broke everything was, um, there was having this thing and one angel goes over to another angel and he says, go down and bring me a brick from, from the, from the, uh, from the Egyptian, uh, you know, building the Jews built. And they go and they grab a brick and in this brick was a baby. And they put it up over there. And when they, when they put it up on there and they presented this case and it says, you know what? That's it. They're done. The case is sealed. They're dying in the sea. The Egyptians are going to die in the sea. So. Because of that woman's baby. Not that woman. They did, they did a lot of babies they put in the, in the walls. But because of that. What? No, one of them, Micha. Micha survived. There was, there was a, yeah. Oh, 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 you mean the Egyptian side? I thought you were talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Some, we'll see. We'll see. We'll soon see. He's a Jew. It's a Jewish name. Jew. What are people in their kids Micha nowadays then? It's a Jewish name. Micha was a Jew. Why did yeah, he have like, Oh, because if it was, yeah, people, you know, people name, you know, why do people name their kids Nimrod? Yeah, I don't know if they still do it anymore. It's bad. So, um, sorry, why did Micha have an idol? 
Well, I'll, we'll have to go to afterwards. We spoke about that earlier. Oh, actually, no, we didn't speak about that. But we'll speak about that afterwards. He was a wicked person. He, uh, um, yeah. So, so okay. So, so let's go on. So there, there was um, this was the same wind. No, you could ask. You could ask by all means. But let's put it. Let's hold it later because uh, you know how late are we? How much more we're we gonna have? We we have a little bit more. Not not that much more, but a little bit more. So um, okay. So now the um, this is the same wind. This is a supernatural wind. The same wind that came before the the great flood. Before it came the Dorf Laga. Before Sodom, there was this this uh, before, this also the wind that brought in the the, the plague of locusts. So. Paro, um, you know, one of the reasons that this big wind came is Paro is going to be tricked to thinking that this is all natural. It's nothing to do with God. It's just some natural uh, occurrence that happened in nature. So, meanwhile, the, the Egyptians are coming from one end, and the what the clouds, you know, rearrange themselves. Now they were protecting between the Jews and the Egyptians, and when the Egyptians came into, you know, came into that, they, they actually had to start going into the clouds. And this is where the clouds put them into complete darkness. Like the ninth plague of darkness, this is where they went into complete darkness. This is the last day of darkness that they had. The, um, the, now, now while, while this was going on, the Egyptians were going through like this turmoil inside their, inside the darkness of the cloud. The Jews were, were have to go and have to start walking into the ocean. But the problem was is that they kept on arguing who should go first. So, so everyone says, I should be the first one. And everyone says, I know I should be the first one. And each one was giving a reason why they should be the first one. Finally, Binyamin says, listen, he says, we're known as the Bnei Israel. I am, my, my, my tribe, Binyamin was only tribe that was named after Yaakov, changed his name from Yaakov to Israel, was Binyamin. He says, I'm the only one who's Binyamin Israel, I should be the first one. And they start marching their way down into, into the, um, into the ocean. But meanwhile, the, the other, the other tribes were like, no, 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 it's not, it's not you. And they started, they started throwing stones at this tribe. But not out of, a, out of hatred, but out of like, they, that he deserves it. He says, what, what makes you think that you're going to get it? They didn't, they weren't doing it in a certain of a way that, they weren't fighting in a, in a way that was like, who's gonna be better, who's gonna do it? It was all for who is going to glorify God. God the most. It was like something in the Shem Shemaim, 100%. Everything was for God. So, they felt that they were, they were going when they weren't supposed to, and they deserved to be pelted to stones. Meanwhile, there was a person by the name of Nachshon. Nachshon, he went, and he, from the tribe of Yehuda, he says, no, he says, it's got to be the tribe of Yehuda, and he runs around, and he jumps into the water. Now, because of all this uh, devotion that the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Nachshon had, they each got rewarded for what they did. Benjamin, you know, he had the first king, Shaul, was that, he was also the, the, um, the Bet HaMikdash was on his territory. You have Nachshon, was from the tribe of Yehuda, he was the direct descendant that comes out from him, was David Melech. The, the, it was time for them to split the sea. Now, the sea says, why should we split? And, you know, so Moshe started saying, you gotta split. You were since from the time of creation, from the time of creation, uh, you were supposed to split until, uh, you know, that it was tell, told you that you were gonna split the time of creation on the time the Jews are gonna go out of Egypt. And, uh, so the, so the sea goes over to, to Moshe and says, why should I listen to you? I came before, I'm older than you. I came before you were, the Adam was born. And as I don't need to listen to you. So he says, if you're not gonna split to me, you know, split at least for the, for the coffin of Yosef. Yosef is over here. And what happened was, is that, is that the, the, the final reason why, and they, they, the sea went on back and forth for the, for the Milah and all these different things, but what, what really broke the back was, was Moshe goes and he, he plays, you know, he, he spreads, spread out his hand and Hashem, so to speak, puts his right hand on Moshe's hand, so to speak, again, metaphorically, and the, the ocean sees this and it splits for that, for that, uh, for that reason. It also split also for the reason there's a Midrashim that speaks about it, it split specifically for the coffin of Yosef, because what happened was, is that Yosef, when he was, um, you know, the, the, the sea basic says, why should I split? He says, I'm natural, natural is meant to do that. When he saw the coffin of Yosef, Yosef was a person that went against his nature. If he went against his nature and he saw that, he says, ah, you know, I am Ravianos. What did he see? He saw, the, the sea saw and he split. What did he see? He saw the coffin of Yosef. Because if Yosef went against his natural tendencies, then I too have to go against my natural tendencies and I have to split. 
So now, so now the waters started splitting. But it wasn't just like a, you know, like a quick split. You're talking about rumbling. You know, there was like there was like tremendous, you know, noise that was heard out throughout the entire world on how, uh, you know, as the as the two two huge walls came came uh, towering above them. You're talking about miles and miles and miles high. These uh, walls, these the split. I'm sorry, of the ocean was not only in the in the ocean. All the waters in the world split at that point in time. You were eating soup. It split. You are in the bathtub. It would also split. All the waters, all the waters uh, split. Now, as the Jews, this is where the, you know, as the Jews started walking into the um, into the into the ocean, the last tribe was the tribe, the Shevet Avdan, and the last person to walk in was Micha. Was this guy with the idol? Also, he was the last person to walk in. But at, at this point in time, Moshe, like like an amazing leader, he stood at the outside. And he made sure until all the Jews went in. Meanwhile, the Egyptians are still in the in this cloud and they're making their way through. And he stood out over there. And as as soon as the last Jew uh, went into into the um, the seabed, he goes and he um, he walks in as well. Now the waters when they uh, when they first split. So they split that it, it, it first splits. So you know the ocean goes down a little bit. You know as and it goes deeper and deeper as you go in. So the first part it split. You saw the floor bed, the sea floor bed, which was very short, but and it was it was a little bit muddy. And people actually started complaining. They're like, oh, well, what happened over here? Muddy. The juice. This is where we're complaining. And God says, you know, we're not going to. I'm not going to destroy you only because I need to show my the glory to the entire to to, to the entire world. So. Uh, so they start they start uh, splitting, but then uh, you know Hashem hears this complaint. He sends this wind; it solidifies the ground. Then, as they're getting, uh, as they're sort of leveling down the the bed of of the water, it didn't split all the way until the bottom. There is an opinion that it split all the way to the bottom. The, the common opinion was is that two thirds of the water froze and one third of the water split up. So the, it made their path go straight. They didn't have to go in, out, down. So they, they, it was basically an, a sheet of ice. But one of the miracle was is that it wasn't slippery. It was a solid ice that the Jews were able to just walk very gently right across the uh, right across through the ocean. If, just picture this. If you picture this, it go, it's a crazy scene. If you if you're able to have a little bit of imagination, you're talking about towering miles and miles up of huge, huge walls of solid water, and then you have ice going all the way about uh, down. And by the way, it wasn't one. The miracle was it was it was wow. twelve. Twelve paths came out, and the way that it was, it, it was like a, a, a semicircle. The Jews came in, and they came out the same. They didn't cross the sea like this. They just sort of lured the Egyptians in here. No, this is just a. This was a sea. This is just how they did it. This is just showing. They just a semicircle. So you turn. Not well. Not a. Yeah, they sort of. It was a sea. It was a sea stir- but they didn't come exactly where. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. So the um, meanwhile. They were walking down, and the um, oh, here I, I remember reading it up. I wasn't sure. I didn't want to say this number because I didn't want to exaggerate. You know how high these walls were? Nine hundred miles high, cool. higher than the tallest mountain in the world. The high, uh, greater than uh, oh, it's on the land. I don't know if it's in the world, but nine hundred miles high, crazy, crazy high. So. All the world marveled at this. This, is, this was ridiculous. It was like straight walls and it was motionless. Meanwhile, you had the angel Gabriel. He was on top of the wall over there keeping a protective eye on the Jews. He also kept a, a you know, a, a eye on the, uh, you know, on the water in case the sea, you know, decides to do something a little fishy because of that idol carrying guy, Micha. So, 
Um, meanwhile, the Jews were protected on all four sides now. They were, and one of the reasons why, were on the right side they were protected because they got the Torah from the right hand of Hashem. And also because they have the mezuzah, is on the right side. On the left side, they have the mitzvah of tefillin. And it's put on the left, on the left side. Uh, on the front, they were protected from the Brit Milah. On the rear is, they have a kesher, there's a knot of the tefillin that goes on the rear. And also, also on the rear is because they put tzitzit on their back. So because of that, they were enveloped in all areas. One of the reasons why we take it, the men take the tzitzit and they wrap themselves in it on all, on all areas is because in, in the, in the, um, for, for what happened in the sea. So now, the, there was 10 miracles that we're going to go through. There was actually 50, but we don't have time to go through all the 50. We're going to go through the 10, 10 miracles that happened in the sea. Number one is the sea split, but it didn't split all at once. That you see the whole thing. As the Jews walked, it split, which was even makes it, so it's like, you know, it's like, it's like you, you know, it's like, you know, you just, I, I have a crazy imagination. I'm like picturing it like, you know, like things are like just building up as they go. Really just a miraculous, unbelievable sight. Second, the, um, the floor of the sea, which was ice, was not wet, was not slippery, was a smooth road. No obstacles, no obstructions. Third, the two walls of the water, they weren't just straight up, they formed an arch. They actually covered them from the top also. And it was sort of like they went through this huge tunnel. And this, you think about it, it's all ice, it's cold, it's probably gonna be cold. It was nice, warm, it was protected, and, um, and this is the one that ran, you know, like a semicircle. The fourth thing is what we spoke about before is that it split into 12 different paths. The fifth ones is that the walls weren't just walls, they actually formed decorative patterns. It was actually nice to look at. It was mosaic arts of beauty that you were able to look at these things. The sixth, usually the frozen walls were salt water. But if you just like stuck your finger inside, you had a water fountain, a fresh, clear drinking water that you were able to, to, to go out of there. And additionally, you had trees that sort of sprouted. Apple trees, fruit trees, that if you're hungry, you would be able to go and eat it. You had honey, oil, apples, pomegranates, whatever, whenever they felt hungry. And, uh, you know, the animals would be able to graze over there also. There was, there was grass there. Crazy miracles that was going on over here. This is ridiculous. If you, what I would recommend, being that we're going fast, if I had more time on this, I would paint such a picture over here, because you would see my, my crazy side of my imagination. It's ridiculous if you just let your imagination run a little bit and see, and, and actually appreciate the wonders and the miracles that God did for us in each, and when it's the sign. Seventh miracle was, was uh, was actually it was with the water. Whenever you wanted to drink, that's when you're able to drink. The eighth one was that the walls were transparent. You're able to see your name because every tribe went in, but you're able to see the other tribes also. So you won't be nervous like what's happening to the other side. Maybe the other tribes. You're able to see them. You're able to talk to them. You're able to you know converse with them. The ninth one was as soon as the as the Jewish people left where they're walking, the the their ground that they're working on turned into boiling mud as soon as the Egyptian arrived, so they couldn't, they were stuck in this. And the tenth one is was as soon as the Egyptians came, the ice wall disintegrated and it came crashing upon the Egyptian. So the um, meanwhile, while the Jewish people are walking through the tunnels of the sea, Pyro and the Egyptians are trying to, um, you know, mount an attack from the back, from the rear. So they're shooting out, you know, these arrows and all these weapons and the spears at the Jews. But we said before that the cloud is blocking them. So the cloud sort of intercepts these things. You know, you have in Israel, you have the, what's the interception, uh, you know, missile called? You know, so if you have a missile that flows in from Gaza, they shoot it up um, and they bring in the Iron Dome. So that's really cool, but this is a little bit cooler. It says, not only did God intercept the missiles, but he U-turned them and put them right back to where they came from. Imagine that. Imagine we create a thing like that. As soon as they come, there's another, uh, you know, different iron dome that intercepts it and it goes right back where you came from. So whenever they shot an arrow, it just came shooting back right at them. So the, they saw this wasn't working, the Egyptians, so they started to let out this tremendous trumpets and war. You know, there are millions of people over here. So they're letting, they're all blowing their trumpets, making, because one of the things that scares is something called a war cry, right? When you're going out to war, you, you, you scare the, 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 the opposing nation that you're fighting against and they lose their thing and they start, you know, start falling in battle. 
But what the cam, what the the cloud did was it sort of muffled the entire sound. The Jews didn't hear anything. It was peaceful. It was nice. They were just walking and relaxed. So, as many as plagues as the Egyptian had in the sea, there was many more plagues in the in in the for the Egyptians in the in the ocean. We're not going to go into it, but I can have a list of fifty plagues that the Egyptians went through specifically in the, in the ocean. Yeah. So um, they went and and they started. Um, and, and by the way, it says that the, the plagues in the sea was greater than the, than the pain that they had in the, in the, in the ten plagues. So during this time, the night, this was night when they were crossing until this point in time. And the night was coming to an end, and the, uh, it was coming the early morning hours, but it was still dark. And the Egyptians are still, you know, going, you know, after them. So they can't see where they're going. And, but they sense something is different because they're walking in there and it's, you know, they're walking into the sea after them in the tunnels. And, um, they sense a little bit like, you know, there's something, oh, is like, are we in the ocean? Where are, we in the, where are we? They couldn't figure out where they were. Um, they didn't see the waters of the ocean? It was dark. It was completely dark. They sensed something. They saw, tu- they saw tunnels. They saw some, some crazy, uh, you know, thing that was going on. So they weren't sure what was going on. But, uh, you know, if they would have realized what they were going through, they would have been an idiot and a fool to actually, so it actually, it actually entered their mind that it's probably an ocean, but they was like, nah, there's no chance. How are they, how are they going to the ocean? So they kept on, they, the Egyptians kept on uh, traveling after that. As the Egyptian goes in, the, um, the heat of the, of the pillar of fire starts melting the, the walls, and it starts coming crashing down on the Egyptians. And they, car- and they start coming crashing down on them. And so meanwhile, they're stuck, we said before, the, the ground turned into mud. They turn into mud. Meanwhile, they're having these blocks of ice and water crashing down from hundreds of miles up into the, uh, on top of them. So the, the horses, you know, automatically would want to run out. But God made a miracle that he put a, a, like this image of a mirror of a female horse in the distance. So the horses, meanwhile, the, the Egyptians wanted to back out because now they're starting to see what's going on and they're getting so confused. There's things crashing down on all sides of them and the horses are keeping them going in further and further into the sea. So the, um, the Egyptians were, were going against their will into the, into the ground. Now while this, this thing is, is coming crashing this ice on top of them, the pillar of fire, fire starts boiling the frozen ground below them. And they start, they, now, it's, now it's not just regular mud, now it's boiling mud and fire. And it, it, so they got cold on one side and heat on the other side again. And they start, uh, you know, and this is the, the comical part over here. Egypt, there were angels that came, and they came around to all the Egyptian chariots and just removed one wheel. From their from their from their chariots, a single wheel. So you had this unbalanced chariot going through this fiery mud with thing falling a pass, and they're trying to go over here. They're stuck over here, and uh, they're they're bouncing from backwards and forwards. The um, now besides the 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 you know they tried to just book it and they tried to get the horses to go, but they couldn't. You know even on foot they couldn't go anywhere because there was so much traffic. Everybody was just falling around all over the place. They couldn't move anywhere. So what they started doing is they rem- the Egyptians themselves removed the wheels and tried to make a mudslide. But that didn't work either because there was people everywhere. They couldn't go anywhere. So they were stuck, they were stuck in this, in this like crazy boiling, muddy, frozen, you know, terrain that they were just getting pelted and bounced back, back and forth wherever they were. So Jews were, as they were cruel, as the Jews, Jews were still in the ocean at this point in time. But their part was nice. The Egyptian part was, came crashing down. During this time, guess who shows up again? Nope, the locust. Oh. The locust that we put aside, they came back. We'll get to that. No, he he booked, he left, he ran, he ran away. <laughs> so this now now the locusts come. And besides the locusts you have the, the you know, this splitting of the ocean didn't just we said before thunder and lightning, crazy sounds, crazy, crazy, crazy sounds. And there was a miracle that hot coals started falling also. 
started falling everywhere. The Egyptians had a distinctively, you know, very nice bonus of five plagues over here. That number one is they had a numbness to the heart. Number two, they were totally confused. Number three, their eyes receded into their sockets. Number, uh, where are we, four, whatever it is. Their skin became consumed. And the tongues dissolved in their mouths. So they had this now this smelling of rotting flesh that was going on with them, and you know they everything was going on like crazy. And the Jews were enjoying; they were walking; they were enjoying the, you know the nice smells of the fruits and the vegetables and the, everything that was there. So, and meanwhile, the horses, even though as much as they wanted to go back, they couldn't. They couldn't go back. So meanwhile, the Egyptians were starting to starting to scream at each other. They'll be like, "Fall back! Everybody, fall back! They just get it back." But still, there were still people that says, "No, no, no." We're not giving up yet. There were still Egyptians that says, no, we're not. We're going to give up to the Jewish God. Let us go. We'll continue fighting them. And they were, conv- they were back and forth were, were, were arguing. Meanwhile, the, um, meanwhile, the, 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 the sea started spill, the start, the sea current, not only now when it's starting falling down, it started spilling into Egypt as well. And so much so, Egypt, into Egypt itself. So it wasn't only the Egyptians that were at, actually at, in the land, in the, I'm sorry, in the ocean that drowned. It was also the water started going into the Egyptian land. And it was a miracle that the entire Egyptian land sort of like tilted up, that they were all able to see what was going on. It was daybreak now, and they, they all witnessed this entire thing. And as they witnessed this, the water is coming up into them. So the Egyptians, um, um, they started, um, they started to, you know, remember we said before, they were, they thought they're so smart. We're gonna get the Jews because we're gonna throw them in the ocean because God will never destroy a flood again. What they didn't realize is they didn't read the lines carefully. You know, they basically read what they want to read and heard what they want to read. But, um, it, you know, God says He's never gonna destroy the entire world with a flood. Never said anything about a nation. So, at this point in time, it's, it's early Wednesday morning, it's the seventh day out of, uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the Exodus, the seventh day of Pesach, and Moshe starts stretching out his hand and all the water starts crashing back down again. Mm-hmm. Now these, um, these, these waters, um, were very fun for the Jews. Because listen to how what happened in the, in the, in the, how the Egyptians went. So as it was, as it was, um, as it came crashing down, there was, by the way, there was a big wind that came back again. So to make people think that it was still a natural occurrence. And so they had this, uh, giant waves that kept on crashing down that they had Egyptians over there. Egyptians, I mean, I'm sorry, they had magicians. Egyptian magicians, they run. The Egyptians magicians, they, uh, what they started doing is so that they, everything was falling down. So what they did was, is that they did some sort of magic that they made themselves able to fly. So they were hovering above the water. Meanwhile, you know, like this, uh, you know, a giant wave came, you know, picture like a hand, you know, but, you know they're trying to fly out, they're like, and they sucked them right back into the water. So as soon as they, they were two master magicians by the name of Yochni and Mamre, who they made themselves these magical wings, and they started soaring straight up to the sky. So Hashem sent an angel Michael to intercept them, he grabs them by their hair, and he throws them back into the ocean, and they came plunging back into the ocean. What? They were bold. <laughs> no, that's only in the movies, I guess. Well, the Egyptians are supposed to be bold. I don't know. So, the waters, now, the waters, what they were doing now to the Egyptians, they were, they weren't, they started playing around with the Egyptians. They started tossing them back and forth. The water from on top threw the Egyptians all the way to the bottom of the sea. The bottom of the sea said, we don't want them. They threw them back up. So the Egyptians were going, imagine through the pressure. Also, they're just, a, they're going, they're going up and down through the, and they're still alive. They're going up and down through the, through the water like whirlpools. And then, 
the water starts throwing him into the air. We don't want. And they start throwing into the air, and then they start coming cra- crashing right back down again. And because of the height that they came crashing down, they came sinking all the way back in. So they're flying in all over the place. And then one of the miracles was is that the horses was always attached to them at the, old t- at the same time. They came. Uh, they just stuck 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 together. Uh, we can't go into the reason, but the, the, why they they were both judged separately. Should the horses be saved? Should the Egyptians be saved? And what? There's a whole thing. They both were going to go, and they got judged, and they both need to die and sink into the into the um, into the ocean. That's a little long part, which we'll, maybe I'll, I'll explain afterwards. So if we have time. So um, so meanwhile, the bottom of the sea was not again just a simple bottom of the sea. It was actually roaring with fires. It was fires of the battling of the sea, and the shattered bodies, or broken bones, are falling everywhere. Was where they're arresting all the son of these Egyptians down to the bottom of the sea. Now there was three types of Egyptians we spoke about earlier, and those three died a different way. The ones that were not so were not as wicked. They died the quickest. They just sunk in like like lead, and they drowned instantly, and they had an instant death. The middle-level Egyptians, they sank like stones. So their drowning was fairly quickly, but they weren't moving around so much. The most wicked Egyptians, they were like straw. They were very slowly moving back and forth, and it was a very slow and painful, painful death. Everybody gets judged according to, even if you have a whole mass thing, everybody gets according to their, uh, whatever they, midah keneged midah, per the person as well. It's crazy how meticulous God is. How It's awesome. It's so, so awesome. So meanwhile, the Jewish people are now safely crossing to the other side, and they're hearing the Egyptians screaming back and forth with the, all the torments that they're going through. Besides the fact that they have all these, the locusts that are coming, and the darkness, and then the fire, and the cold, and the, you know, all the pain that they were going through, that uh, this, the pain, the screaming started to, you know, calm down, and they stopped. And now the Jews are outside, but now they're nervous. They're like, they don't see any Egyptians anymore, but it said, that, who knows, maybe they're on the other side. Because they came in the semicircle, maybe they're 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 down over there. We don't know if we really escaped them. No, they just followed the they followed the the path, and the path took them right back out. So, the, what happened was is that Moshe started crying, uh, crying out to Hashem. He says they don't believe you. They don't believe that. They, show them, show them. So the so the there was a big wind again that came, and the bodies of the Egyptian the spit out. They came flying out of the out of the ocean. They came flying out of the ocean, and they landed into the on the ground. Now the ground was like. Um, we don't want them. And the ground threw them back to the ocean. So even though some of them were even still alive at this point, they were at the last breath, and they were flinging back and forth from land to ocean, land to ocean. Meanwhile, there, were, there was an argument going up, what should we do with these Egyptians? The land says, we don't want these wicked people. And the, the ocean says, we don't want these wicked people. So at the end, the, the maskana, the pas, the, they, they paskin in, in Shemaim, they says that the land has to get it, because they came from land, they're going to return to land, and that's where they're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to go. So, Finally, they all just get they get thrown into uh, they get thrown into the land, and there all the the Jews are walking over there. Now some of these Egyptians are still alive, so they're walking. And be like, oh, man, this is my taskmaster. Oh, this is the guy the one who bit me all the time. Oh, weren't you in the in the? And they as they were dying, the Egyptians also suffered a tremendous humiliation, where they see their slaves cowering over them as they take their last uh, their last breath. So. This is also one of the reasons why this is so so imperative. Is now the Jews they felt that they were really free when you know that the Egyptian your masters are dying. You're never looking over your shoulder. You never if you're never looking over your shoulder. So then you're you know you're you're you feel free. You feel um, you know it's a real freedom. So now that the Jews saw the dead bodies of the Egyptians, they really felt that they were free. So besides the, the ocean. Throwing up all the all the Egyptians, we said before that the Egyptians came in with lots of money, lots of wealth. That the ocean came and spit out all the wealth also. So the wealth over here that the Jews collected, they started collecting all the wealth, was greater than all the wealth that they had created uh, until now. So you're talking about now unbelievable amount of wealth that they have over here. So now what happened to Paul? 
Paro. So everybody, it says everybody died over there. So there's conflicting opinions on what happened to Paro. One person, well, there's one opinion that says that they died, that Paro died right in the beginning. There's another opinion that says that no, Paro died all the way at the end. Let him suffer the most. And there's another opinion that he actually got saved. He actually got saved, and uh, so that he would be able. He was one who says that there's no such thing as God. I don't believe it. He is going to be go screaming out to everybody else that there, there is uh, there is such a God. There is. Um, and we don't have the the time to go into it, but there's an opinion that says that he was later the king of Nineveh. Where Yonah came and he started saying, you guys are sinning, you guys are sinning, you gotta do it. And Paul says, I know this God. He says, no, we're fasting, we're doing, we're doing repentance. I went through that before, I'm not going that again. And some say that it was a reincarnation because it was many years later, but, yeah. So. Wait, do you think Paul would have changed his name? Could be that power was just a title given to him. It was like a king. Yeah. So um, yeah. So Paro, there was, but but there is an opinion that says that, that there was a the, that Paro he suffered the most. He was fifty days tied with a chain on in in the bottom of the sea and kept alive somehow. But he was you know he was suffering with with uh, you know like with with all these these crazy crazy amount of sufferings. But one of the things was was he was he was taken to the gates of Gehenna, uh, Paro. And whenever he saw an idol worshiper come in, he would start screaming at them. Says, "Why didn't you learn your lesson from me? Ten plagues—they destroyed my land. You couldn't figure it out. You're still serving idols. Look what I did." And says, "He still don't, he still didn't uh, didn't listen to it." Okay, but we're almost finished over here. Let's just uh, um, so now that the Jews saw all this coming out, and all the nation—you know—that they started feeling so happy, so close to God, that this is where they started to sing Shira. This is where they started to sing Shira. We don't have the time to go through the Shira, which is unbelievable. It's a really nice, beautiful thing. The, no. No, so it's a question about how the woman's saying it. We won't have the time to go through that because, it but it's Shabbat? no, no. Uh, it, it's it, when we sing, um, we Pasha Shira. I think it's Pasha B'Shalach, if I'm not mistaken. So um, they um, they went and they started singing praise, and it says that the visions and the level that these Jews got of prophecy in the um, in the in in uh, by the crossing of the sea was greater than even the Navi of Yecheskel. Wow. That's how high they. That's how high they was. They were so, and and this also caused them a little bit of a, uh, a you know, of an issue. We're soon going to see. So Moshe went. He composed. We'll speak a little bit about Tzedakah. We'll speak very uh, shortly. Moshe composed this beautiful lyrics of Shira that you know we sing as Yashir Moshe, and um, and then first first the people. I'm sorry, this is the first time in history that people sang praises to God. Until then, people gave praises to God, but never as a song. This is the first one. And the future time also, in Tzedakah Mesim, the Shira will also be sung as well. And it says it's so miraculous that even the babies in the wombs of their of their mothers also sang Shia. But now, like there was voices that were coming out. It was in a spiritual sense because they weren't able to speak. Yeah, like between before, why they needed song now? Okay, so they just maybe it's the level of, of euphoria that they had. I don't know if it was distinction or that's what they just they, you know it's the level that they reached. Uh, um, regarding woman, so it says the woman also sang, uh, not in the beginning because of modesty, but then the question is how do they you know how they supposed to sing? Not modest with the with the with the men, um, but there is it says also the woman had the musical instruments. This is, by the way, how confident the women were. This is how much emunah. Women have such faith in God. It's so much, they have so much strength. Always. It's always known that women have very strong faith in God. Um, or you, at least you have the power of to have that faith. That they were so confident that now going back to Egypt, they, they, they took out like musical instruments. Like you're booking Egypt and they took out musical instruments. So what they did was that they played these musical instruments so loud that they, they, it died out their singing. So you couldn't hear the singing, so it wasn't the, it wasn't a problem with that. So they go and they sing. And after they, after they finished the song of, of, uh, you know, of, of praise, they went and they were supposed to now travel to the Midbar, to the desert. They were supposed to continue traveling. But the Jews were like, how can we leave this awesome place? Like, this is the highest place that they ever got, the closest they got to God. He says, we have prophecy over here, levels, we have the, the crossing of the sea. Like, 
you know, let's stay over here. Let's stay in the shore of Yamsuf. Let's stay right over here. This is awesome over here. Yeah. So he says, no, Moshe says, no, we got to go. We got to go to the house. We got to go out to the Israel. And then we're not finished over here. So some of them even said, he says, no, why, why do we got, he says, some of, the, some of the Jews even says, listen, so let's go back to Egypt. Everyone's like, Egypt? Why do you go back to Egypt? They're like, think about it. You know, Egypt is done. We walk in there. We take over everything. They're done. They're not, we're not going to see Egypt anymore. It's going to be our land. And Moshe says, don't worry, we have a different land that's belonged to us, and that's, that's Eretz Yisrael, and not Egypt. And he says, and they continue going, and if you think about it, that this is one of the things that you can tell the people that don't believe, you know, we would have been able to go in to Egypt and easy take it over. All the, all the men were out the sea, they died. The, the, the flood went into the Egyptian land as well, and they took it over. It would have been simple, just walk in. We didn't even have to fight, just walk in, everybody will kneel down, and just let us do whatever we want to do. But no, we had a land, and the land is Eretz Yisrael. So, uh, the, you know, any Palestinians who think that, it says, no, it's our land from the beginning. So, um, they, and it's not because we didn't have anywhere else to go, and that's why we got the land. <laughs> sort of, something like that. So, um, after that, so they, so they were arguing what to do, they didn't know, they, so they didn't, so they were staying over there. Meanwhile, the, the clouds of glory says, listen, we're moving, and they started, they started leaving them. And the Jews saw that the clouds of glory are leaving them, so they ended up going and following the, the pillars, and this is where the, the travels in the deserts begin. And Bezad Hashem, hopefully, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll continue a series on what happens there and afterwards. But Bezad Hashem, the, the, um, oh, let me, I always wanted to say this, uh, but if somebody does want to do more further reading on this, so, uh, strongly recommend to, to you know, to go into Mamloes. Mamloes has such a phenomenal thing. You look at Mamloes, it's in English. They have its its number book number four and five speaks about this in depth. They also the Rabbi Yosef uh, Deutsch did an incredible job, incredible job in in a, in a sefer. He wrote "Let My Nation Go" in a very very beautiful uh, story format. Of course, we cannot forget that you have to look into the Chumash because that's where all this is all based off from. But I hope from this uh, from this story you got a different understanding. We're coming into Pesach now. You can have a different understanding of what what, what we're actually going through. And one of the things is is that you know. You, you expand on the Sipur Yitzhak sometimes, because when you say this story more, you realize how grateful we have to be to God. God was awesome! Look at what He did for us! Uh, you hear ten plagues, okay, you know, frogs, a lot of frogs, no, okay, very good. But you don't realize what God did to it. That's why it says, Whoever goes and speaks more and more about it. So now I gave you guys about what is like six hours of material to speak on. <laughs> so you can definitely speak by Yisadel. It's definitely good, uh, you know, it's definitely very important, and it, it, it's, if you have imagination, use it for this. Use it for this. Don't think about your Transformers or whatever it is, or, you know, the, the sci-fi <laughs> things now. Well, not girls, but the guys. But, uh, um, you know, think about, think about, use your imagination, think about what, how God, what God did to us. It's so amazing. It's so fundamental. We have to be so forever grateful in this holiday, this holiday when we became the Jewish nation. And Bezat Hashem, may, may we really internalize this, the, the lessons that we learned from this, uh, um, from this, from this uh, story, from this Midrashim, from this um, um Unbelievable uh, part in our in our Jewish history, and may we may we grow and have Bezad Hashem Mashiach Mehera Bemenu. May be able to sing the Shira of Tchiat Matim Bemehera Bemenu. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.